this is Dan Hasty, and you're listening to the Tigers Minor League Report. Get the scoop on Tigers today. You're listening to Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. I'm Robert Shaw. Chris Brown is tonight. We have a guest who I think has been, I think, long overdue to come on the podcast. Um, I, I, we've been, I've been talking about this for a while, but just in terms of even just uh, scheduling, and then I've just kind of, admittedly, about of laziness, and also I'm not really sure. And also we're kind of waiting to see what's going on with you, Robert James. From one of our writers and a friend of the show for a while. And, yeah, we were waiting to see what was going on with uh, you passing the bar and everything. But I wanted to make sure we had some free time. And uh, with the uh, season coming to a close now, it seems like the best time. Welcome in, Robert. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. All right, awesome. Yeah, we got plenty to talk about. A lot of baseball going on tonight. As the Tigers are on national television for some strange reason. Um, I... <laughs> Chris and I were talking right before that why were they on the Fox 2 and it was national with, with the way the Indians have dominated. It's now 5 nothing in the bottom of the 5th as we come off a game where you see Spencer Turnbull pitch one hell of a game and for not as the Tigers tie a franchise record for most consecutive losses to one team. Yesterday it looks like they're going to break that and you know Chris there was you know, Spencer Turnbull there was a, uh, I forgot the tweeter. There was an article about his fastball being one of the best four seamer fastballs out there, and just to see a, a just a squander. I mean, he's he has struggled a little bit in the second half, but that was arguably his best start in a while. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know he had one. I don't remember when it was, but he had like eight strikeouts through like three or four innings, and then it kind of fell apart on him. But yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know with Turnbull. We've seen the flashes. I think I mentioned, I don't know if it was a show or two ago, or maybe it was in our chat, that, that he had surpassed Boyd in terms of uh, FIP as the, the the best pitcher on the team, which was is kind of uh, was yeah, surprising. Yeah, but that's because of the home runs. I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, hey, it all counts. Yeah, um, that's true. And, uh, yeah, it, it's it's just, you know, and he hasn't pitched nearly as many innings as Boyd, and Boyd's striking out more guys, so Boyd has the, the higher war, but it's just uh, – you know the overall quality, based on balls in play, it's uh, Turnbull, and it kind of sucks. You know, I mean, nobody really cares about wins and losses anymore. But he's three and fifteen, which is a bummer. Yeah, like, well, that's that's a tough rookie year. I um, care. <laughs> yeah, I care. you know, I, for for a long time, I I just wanted somebody to come up with some sort of weird translation for war to old school wins. Just because I felt like there were there were nice, you know, milestones, twenty wins, three hundred wins. It felt right, right. Um, and now, like, I guess you just have to adjust. Like, hey, a six-war season, all right. That's like right. a twenty-win season, but uh, but yeah, no, it was nice to see him go out and, and pitch well. But yeah, I still don't entirely know what his future holds. I think they're going to keep him starting, at least for the next year or so. But yeah, they have to. I mean, look, let's. Let's be real. I know that all the fans have this idea that next year the Tigers are going to have 10 possible starting pitchers <laughs> and we're going to be loaded and Mize and Manning are going to make the team and win 20 games. And like none of that's happening, right? Um, no, no. Mize and Manning 
probably, I mean, they'll certainly be up at some point in the year, I'm sure, but I don't know if either's probably going to even break camp. They're obviously going to have to sign some bodies. You know, they need Turnbull to start. It's one of these things, if you go down the prospect list, you can name all the guys you want. And this isn't necessarily because the Tigers have done something wrong, but just injuries happen. You know, we can see it across the league. You you need like eight or nine viable starting pitching candidates. And when you're in the spot where the Tigers are right, it's difficult because you want to sign guys, but you don't want to block the prospects. So you have to sign guys who are able to start, but also guys who don't have to start, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of a, a tough spot. So yeah, they need Turnbull to start uh next year for sure. And I think it's just rough because he He's someone that always seems like just like balls are always squirting through the shift against him, right? There's always some fluke thing happening or he doesn't get a call. And he's someone who, and this was part of his scouting reports that I would read, and you saw this a lot in one of the years he was in the AFL, he would really lose his, not like lose his cool, but you could see him getting tighter up there, kind of like how Norris does during the starts. Mm. And things would just kind of snowball on him a lot of the time and you know, the Tigers' defense is not great. He's an extreme ground ball pitcher. And he's also kind of lost his slider a bit as the year has gone on. So, I mean, we see him hang a bunch of sliders. He did it last night uh, when that used to be like a really lights-out pitch for him. So he can still snap off good ones. But, um, but yeah, it's been an up-and-down year. But I think for sure he'll start in the rotation next year. And I still – it's his rookie year, but he's 27. Or he's, he either just turned 27 – like two days ago or you know it's happening two days from now it's something like that but um he so he's not young like a traditional rookie right but uh you know hopefully he can still tighten up some of uh these uh command issues because the stuff is there you know all the ingredients are there he's got to start his arsenal so yeah i was just checking just for fun mm-hmm. uh right now his he's got the third best by war, by Fangraph's war, the third best rookie pitching season for the Tigers uh, since 2000. Yeah, yeah, and then per- behind uh, Fulmer and uh, Verlander. Wow. Yeah, and then per uh, poor sports radar, and this was something I saw last night. Spencer Verlander was the first Tiger rookie with back-to-back starts of 8K or in one walk or less since Les Kane in 1970. But of course, Les Kane was four, four or five season flash in a pan guy who finished his career as a two-war pitcher for the, for the Tigers, but. You know that it's it's even like somebody was trying to. Uh, my brother and I got in this conversation about comparing him like Mike Moroff, who was like this, and in the sense of like 2003. Number four on this list, by the way. Mike Moroff, yeah. So Mike 2003, Mike Moroff was like a highlight of the the crappy year that he was 2003, and he's trying to put as well. Mike, it's the same thing. Turnbull was like Mike Moroff, and I was like, ah, no. no, not no. at all, not at all. But I mean, in terms of how, if you were to talk about like a highlight among you know in a sea of crap. Sure, that's a good way to put it, but yeah, completely different style of pitching. Yeah, <laughs> just couldn't be any different. But right, yeah. But speaking as... of Mar- the 2003, I just wanted to mention this. I was going over the stats actually. Nate Cornejo, I think it was 2003 when he actually finished with like a 2.3 F4 season, and he had something like a 2.1 strikeout per nine and a 2.3 <laughs> walk oh. per nine. Something yeah. just absolutely where he absolutely like finished with like a, you know, like a back of the rotation quality war, which is actually good. Somehow only struck out to a game and somehow walked more than he struck out. 
It's like yep. the craziest. I mean, I know strikeouts are really extreme now where you look, you think of like Matt Anderson, who you guys were talking about last week is like, he threw 101 when that meant something. He was a hardcore strikeout pitcher. I guarantee he never even topped, you know, a strikeout an inning, you know. I mean, yeah. he probably came close, but I'm sure he didn't go past it. And his career, you know, he was never an elite guy, and his career wasn't long. But you see how many, I mean, look how many guys the Tigers have picked off crap heap who throw 97 with a, you know, with like an inconsistent breaking ball. I mean, that got him the number one pick in the draft. And now we get guys from, you know, Jose Cisnero, who hasn't even pitched in two years, <laughs> who's yeah. from parts unknown. And, you know the same value that we had to lose you know however many games in 96 to get them so yeah. it's crazy how much different it is now but that's neither here nor there sorry it's okay. no, no it's, it's that's that's why um there's a, a fun feature there on on fan graphs mm-hmm. when you're looking at the stats you go over all the way over to the right it's easy to miss it's called plus stats mm-hmm. and it, it basically you know we talk about weighted runs created plus all the time because it you know it compares stats to league average Mm-hmm. And you can do that with all those league average. So you can see, you know, he was striking out three guys per nine, but that really wasn't as bad as somebody now striking out seven per nine or something crazy like that. So it's helpful. But by the way, it's, it's funny is um, I was looking, you guys were, you know, Lynn Henning's been, and we'll bring Lynn Henning up here shortly because there's been some, uh, some interesting uh, tweets. But I oh, have, God. so I have newspapers.com, which by the way is probably the greatest. 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month I've spent a long time and and I'll have to I'm going to pull up some article some art, uh, some random articles but the, one of them that I did pull up just now was this is from April 2004 when they're trying to figure out the rotation and just like some of the some of the the language used here this you know Chris Sheldon the sweet swinging youngster who was a rule 5 pick from Pittsburgh and one of the names he comes up with that was um in terms of like four or five starter with some promise, and that was Nate Cornejo after the 2003 season. But uh, or you know, in terms of like uh, Rondo White needs to wear a rabbit's foot around his neck, a copper bracelet on his wrist, a horseshoe in his hip pocket, and a garland of four leaf clovers around his ankles. He must stay healthy. So that's the kind of so if you guys for for a case in point for somebody growing up and all you're limited to was the local paper for prospect writing or, or getting your team you know trying to sort through what was going on. There you go. So just uh, and Lynn's really good at writing. He's a very good writer. I'm not disputing that, but sometimes it's like we you see the spin on it a little bit as you get older. Well, look, you know, here here's the here's the issue, and this is something I on Twitter. You can see me on Twitter at at confusion underscore rain r e i g n. I actually comment a lot, and I'm a broken record about it because I really don't like to do it because he's had a wonderful career. He, he is a great writer, and he does have a great body of work, and he's a good guy. And obviously, we know people who – I've never met him. I know people who are friendly with him, and I'm sure they don't like it when I criticize him. And I don't like it when I criticize him. This couldn't be further from, you know, being a personal attack or anything like that. But so just to put that on the table. And then when I do come in, a lot of times people kind of – I don't want to turn into a bashing him session because, you know, when I comment on some of his tweets or some of the articles he writes, it's really just about the topic. It's not about him. But right. my issue with him is that he that he just I call it like laundering the team spin. The team tells him their version and then he prints it 
And the problem with that is that he doesn't filter it. He doesn't do an independent analysis or it doesn't seem like he does. And so when it comes from him, he's a trusted source. Fans consider him a neutral source. And so it turns the team's opinion into a fact, right? So now it no longer seems just like, well, this is just one side of the story. It seems like, no, this is the way it is. And a lot of times, like the spin, like hyping up a player. That's why people joke about him saying Bruce Rondon would have won the World Series because this is something the team is saying to him to hype it up, and he doesn't filter it at all for the fans. He just acts like he's done this this broad analysis of it, and he's come to this conclusion on his own when he hasn't. And what I find, the part that I objected to is that he was critical of Jake Rogers in the tweet the other day, and I don't think he should let the team basically smear players anonymously like that. We should probably set it up and explain what happened first. Right. Yeah. Well, that and yeah, like, no yeah, yeah, and there's yeah. Let's yeah, let's set that up too. And then and I think because the, well, I mean, Chris, Chris and I, I think we experienced it firsthand too. So go ahead. Uh, let's just set Ooh, that me? up. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and set that <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, basically, like I'm saying, he, you know, Lynn Henning is retired, but he's still doing pieces for the Detroit News, I believe, mm-hmm. and. He t- he tweeted out a message the other day where let me pull it up real quick, actually. But the gist of it was that Jake Rogers is struggling because he's stubborn. He's single minded on his swing and he won't fix it. So Jake Rogers, obviously, there's also all this context and backstory to it because Jake Rogers came from Houston where they like to match planes with the ball, which when you kind of do that, you hit it hard. It'll lead. It's part of this whole launch angle debate. The Tigers seem to like a more level swing. Lloyd McClendon very famously, you know, did an interview with Sports Illustrated where he says you have to swing down on the ball. This was a few years ago when the launch angle craze started. So there's been a conflict between Jake Rogers and the team, and McCoskey has done some pieces about it. You know, they they don't want him to have a light kick, and they don't want him to hit the ball in the air so much. So Lynn tweeted out that he struggled, that a source, you know, a former player, a source close to the team, i.e. Lloyd McClendon or Ron Gardenhire, almost certainly, says that Griner will hit, you know, will end up being able to hit better and Rodgers won't. And because Rodgers is too fixated on his leg kick and won't change, which, number one, you know, is not even factually accurate. Jake Rodgers has made a ton of substantial changes since coming over from Houston. I watch almost every minor league baseball game. We can put up the clips of him. He's made a ton of changes to his swing. So that's not even factually accurate. And secondly, by it's basically letting the team smear this guy, a player for the team, without going on the record and putting their name on it. And it just it just really rubs me the wrong way. You know, it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, no, I, I, there are a couple different things about this. I My my guess was that it was Doug Minkiewicz who told him that. Oh, yeah. Because we... Yeah, we uh, he was not a fan of Rogers or Daz Cameron. Yeah, um, he hit him eighth and ninth the whole year. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that was largely due to these kids possibly, you know, not taking what the coaching staff was telling them and, and right. applying it. And, and maybe just that's as because... an aside, I'm sorry, I know that, I, you know, I'm talking <laughs> a lot, but as an aside, pretend you're Jake Rogers and you're. Right now, a fringe 
major league baseball player or Daz Cameron, even someone in the minors. I know Daz got a sizable bonus, but still, they, they certainly have not established themselves yet. And this is the time where they're growing. You get traded mm-hmm. from the best organization in, in major league baseball to let's generously say one of the worst, right? Yeah. I don't think that's in dispute, and I don't think that's me being unfair. Houston is one of the best. The Detroit Tigers are not, particularly when it comes to developing hitters. So would you put your hands in the career of the Tigers hitting staff, or would you hang tight onto what you learned in Houston? I mean, if it were you and if it were your career and millions of dollars of your money was at stake, who would you trust more, the staff of the Houston Astros or the staff of the Detroit Tigers. To me, I can certainly, you know, not that the ti- not that every coach for the Tigers is bad or even what they've been, who knows, maybe they were giving them good advice, but I can certainly understand why players would be, let's say, wary of changing from what they're comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that, you know, we were having a little bit of a conversation today uh, with the player's dad kind of about about the approach to development and things like that. And and one thing that I always think about worry about is is players who might not go out and seek uh instruction elsewhere mm-hmm. because they feel like they need to listen to their team at all costs or something like that. And, and you know, if you're not getting what you need from your team, it's your career. <laughs> like and I understand that there's got to be a lot of pressure to to listen to what your coaches do. I mean, if you don't, they might Benchia, they might do, you know, bad reports, but it's your career. You got to do what's best for you. And, and I just, uh, and we've seen, you know, what did Matt, Matthew Boyd do in the offseason? He went out and worked up with Driveline, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, and, and we see other teams, you know, players like all the, the, the Karen Check guy from the, the Cleveland, uh, who he was, what, a ninth round pick? I, I first randomly noticed him when I was looking at the, uh, I was looking at uh, AAA Velocity. And saw that he mm-hmm. hit 99 regularly. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Who's this dude? And then I saw he had like 70 strikeouts in 30 innings. And yeah, sure enough, he, he's a guy who was a late-round pick, went to driveline, got his spin access all under control. And yeah, it's so there are things you can do outside of working with your, your team. But it is, it's certainly unfortunate that you might have to do that with the Tigers to... Everything about it is yeah, did, did you, I mean, didn't Jacoby Jones do the same thing? And then they're trying to give credit to Lloyd McClellan, and it was like, no. Well, who did he work with? Who was he working Scott with? Scott Green. It? it was someone Scott who works for the team. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, scout. all right, okay. I think that yeah, and, and, as the Tigers when it's a scout for the Tigers. Okay. And yeah. I think, you know, they're talking about, right now, they're talking about Griner having a little bit of better for swing, or he's having better results at least. And I think they were giving credit to Mike Hesman for that. So it's, it's I don't know. It, I think a lot yeah, of it is is finding the right message and, and finding somebody who can who can get it to work for you, yeah, tailoring it not, for each player. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, it's and, sorry. and again, it's not that you know I don't I don't want to get into extensively, but you know, kind of at the heart of this, and is kind of the complaint that we've all had, or a lot of people you know that we talk to have had about the Tigers' hitting philosophy. Where you know they do not embrace you know matching the plane like Houston does or L.A. does. They like guys kind of like, you know, their profile of player they like is guys like Victor Reyes. They want, you know, Lloyd says it all the time. They want people to spray line drives from foul pole to foul pole. You know, they're lead league in doubles. Right. <laughs> they're not into trying to hit home runs. 
and so, you know, they've acquired a ton of kind of slap type hitters like Reyes and Harold Castro and Willie Castro and Lugo. And it goes on and on and on. That's their uh, profile for guys they grab in international free agency for over a decade now. So that's kind of been the argument at the heart of it, right? It's this disagreement about kind of the general philosophy. Um, but it's not that. So I agree with kind of these players in that way, where I think that the Tigers should embrace a different philosophy just to, you know, maximize run creation, right? But so it's not just that also. So there's that tension, but it's wrong to smear one of your young players you're going to rely on anonymously through a retired columnist. And they do. And it's so funny because they make such a big stink about like they have to start these washed up veterans every year. They have like washed up veterans like this year. It's Jordy Mercer and Harrison, you know, two years ago or last year it was Victor. And it's like they say, no, no, we have to start them every day because then free agents won't want to sign here if we treat Josh Harrison poorly. It's always something absurd like that. Meanwhile, the young players, anyone they don't like, they smear on their way out of town, just like they did to Castellanos, like they're doing now to Jake Rogers. And it just rubs me the wrong way. It's like you got to back up your player. Keep that in the house. Yeah, Max Scherzer, Scherzer, you can go on to even just – Along the lines of the, the function junction, even goes back to the days of, I mean, even with the all the infighting that happened with Jeff Weaver and Bobby Higginson back in the early 2000s, Roger Cedeno, Juan Encarnacion, it was everybody's, everybody's fault. It never was the Tigers' fault. So it, it stems back It stems back for a long period of time, at least in my opinion. So, But let's let's move on a little bit. Well, oh, go ahead. I just wanted to, one more thing, and it's just about the nature of, of reporting. Uh, and sort of the, what we've seen from the Tigers kind of closing shop in the last year or so, it's, there's always sort of a symbiotic relationship between the press and, and the team. You know, you, you, right. sometimes you have to report what they want you to to get mm-hmm. access. Mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, it, it sure does seem like, like it's, it's, it's becoming more and more like, hey, you have to – I don't know. Like we've seen a lot of writing appears to be doing the bidding of the team. Yeah, favorable yeah. coverage, exactly, for, for, from, from beat writers, um, some certain beat writers. And, and it hey, just seems like, yeah. Anthony Fennick did a piece on July what? July 5th, where he said they have to extend Al Avila, that this was a good decision. And then mm-hmm. he does the piece, uh, what, three weeks later, that was about problems with the trade process, where... I mean, I have a whole spiel about that, too, I won't get into, because I think people completely miss the point by fixating on the players. The issue is that the process is flawed. Mm-hmm. That was even just, it's not like it was a hit piece. It, it, it wasn't unfair. It was just saying, hey, these might be some issues. And people acted like it was, you know, like yeah. the New York Post covering Reggie Jackson and Billy Martin. I mean, that's how <laughs> skewed it is to where just someone just even raising a reasonable question like, hey, you guys have lost over 300 games in three years and there's no end in sight. Uh, is there, like, could there possibly something wrong? And they're seen as just like, you know, the enemy of the people. It's just out of control. Like, yeah, it's totally symbiotic. I mean, Chris Mikowski is, t- Chris Mikowski is tweeting about, uh, he's the beat writer for the news now. He's tweeting about how Harold Castro should get rookie of the year consideration. Like Jordan Alvarez 
in 20 less games has like 26 home runs this year and is going to finish with like, you know, a four, four wins above replacement. Even guys like, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio, I mean, you can list it on and on and on. Abraham Toro, who the, the Tigers <laughs> passed on to take Mark Ecker, has only played like 22 games or something. And he has a higher war than Harold Castro, who's played about 90. And McCoskey is tweeting about rookie. I mean, it's just so diluted. You know, yeah, and that's and that's and here's the thing too. I think before we move on, I I really think it's it, it, the Tigers Tigers fans tradition to the likes of Tom Gage, Lynn Henning, and Joe Falls, and some of the older writers. And I and again, nothing against that at all. I just think it's conditioning. I think if because everybody talks about how the media is not Boston, New York, or everybody's like the New York Post. It's not like it's hypercritical, but the Tigers have had favorably speaking in the last 25 years and just doing the or just doing the research in the Randy Smith article it just dawned on me that er, it's always dawned on me that I'm aware that you have to kind of take a step back and go it's not rose or orange cover like rosy covered glasses or whatever term you want to use for it it is sometimes you have to go and look at see how things are uh, covered objectively and I get that they have to have that yeah you're right Chris they have to have some sort of relationship they have to have a relationship with the team they can't just right. always be bashing. And I'm not saying that at all, but also every once in a while raise the question. Like, for example, what is – I mean, why – like, for, if somebody brought up why Anthony Castro hasn't been called up or certain prospects that – I mean, even, like, Will Vest going in the Arizona Fall League, which is like, why is he going to the Fall League? That makes no sense. There are certain things that you can – easily should be questioned instead of just taking whatever David Littlefield said as Bible, and that's – I have. That's where I have a problem. So. Or making it clear that this is instead of saying a source like one heading made it sound like it was a neutral scout telling him this and not a member of the organization giving the team spin. That's the problem. And that's what he does for all of this stuff. He makes it sound like it's neutral. And then he's also supposed to be neutral. Fine. If you're going to pu- print their spin, at least make it clear. This is their spin. This is not my opinion. This is not a neutral analysis. This is the team's version. Chris McCoskey is kind of famous for going on Twitter, tweeting out some sort of diluted, you know, version of reality that is the team's version. And then when people point out, well, that doesn't make any sense, he then snaps at people and says, well, that's just what the team says. Well, you didn't make that clear when you tweeted it. Obviously, you know, there's only so many characters you can use, but that's a big problem as well, is that they don't separate you know, their voice as a new, as a neutral arbiter of truths from, oh, yeah, this is what the team whispered into my ear. And, yeah, you're right. No one expects them to be hostile toward the team. It's a long season. It's a miser- It's been a miserable year. Yeah. Of course they need to write positive things. No one ex- and they're beat writers. They're not doing analysis. They're doing gamers every day, right? Mm-hmm. The analysis is only once a week or so. No one expects them to nuke their relationship with the team and be throwing bombs. But when they've lost 300 games in three years and – they're going to lose 404 years, and I mean a million other things I could go into. You got to at least like pose some of the questions occasionally. That's not too much to ask. No, it's not, yeah. and uh, you, you just do a disservice if you're not. So uh, let's move on, though. There's there's plenty else to get to. There's a couple of, uh, including the. Or let's go into our inside the number a little bit, and there's, there's a couple of numbers this week that stand out uh, my end. But I uh, I have well. I have a pretty good one that I actually that uh, I found really interesting. That my out of all the things out of conversation I had with my brother earlier. But Chris, what is what is your inside number this week? Well, it's terribly timely, and I swear I came up with this uh, like on Monday before any of the Lynn Henning stuff came out. 
Um, I was just uh, on Baseball Savant looking at uh, random stats, and uh, so my number is 81.3 and 456. And that is the average exit velocity off the bat for Jake Rogers. <laughs> and, oh. and, and where he ranks uh, is 456 among 462 hitters with at least 50 batted ball events. So, yeah, almost at the bottom. If you drop it to 10 batted ball events, he gets jumped by a number of pitchers, including Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Hugh Darvish, who I don't think is known for his batting skills, Steven Strasburg, Madison Bumgarner, Walker Bueller. Uh, and like I said, I... I I put this. I wrote this down before all the Lynn Henning stuff. Um, but yeah, it's it's only fifty five batted balls, so I don't think you can make too much uh, noise about it. But it is no. kind of wild. His his BABIP is like is super low, but his according to Statcast, his batting average is actually high. His one twenty one batting average uh, should be one fourteen according to their expected batting average. So it's like right now it's his average launch angle is like nineteen degrees, which mm-hmm. is right in line with a bunch of sluggers like. Tons of guys are so whatever he's doing, it's right now it's the perfect mixture of weak, weak exit velocity and bad launch angle. And so he's got like an 18% infield flyout rate. Um, so yeah, just something isn't working there right now. And I don't know if it, it, he needs to lower the plane of his swing a little bit or what, but uh, no, I think he's adjusting to the league. I mean, look, yeah. it's no secret. I feel it's so funny because I feel like I was the low man on Rogers throughout the season. He was putting up all those numbers, I was so skeptical of him. Me and Keenan have been skeptical of him. And then he came out like a house of fire at double A. And every day people were being like, you got to give Jake Rogers credit. You know, we're on my case about it. But I was so skeptical because, you know, he has major contact issues. He's got the massive leg kick. He's, you know, which is messes up his timing occasionally. But now I feel like I'm defending him all the time because this is a natural thing. Like, he well, so he has the contact issues, but he's someone who relies heavily on timing. He's a mistake hitter. So the difference in quality between AAA and MLB is going to take time for someone like that, right? Because mm-hmm. major league pitchers don't make as many mistakes, right? He just has to kind of adjust to that. Plus, also, if you watch his at bats, he's working the count a ton. A lot of it is just he'll get called out on. He's had a bunch of at-bats where he gets called out on a pitch out of the strike zone, right? Because he has a good eye. He's a rookie. They're the Tigers. They're not going to get a lot of calls. So that's happened a lot. So it's not like he's going up there and just waving at everything and swinging through fastballs. He's missed a bunch of pitches where, you know, he just gets under it and pops it up. Whereas in the minors, he would have hit that for a home run. So I think he's looked fine. I think he's looked a lot better than the numbers show. And I'm frankly not worried about it. I think he had to go through this just to adjust to the MLB pitching. I see people say, well, he needed more time in AAA. He's not a souffle, guys. It's not like they stay in AAA. And then, you know, if they stay down there for 90 games at 450 degrees, they come up ready to go. Like, it's an adjustment. He needs to see MLB pitching. They're losing 115 games this year. This is the time. Let them hit 100 now. Now, hey, maybe he never makes it. Fine, but I, I'm not worried at all, personally. I, and I, I'm not either. And there's just like the, it's the same school of people who thought when the Suarez trade went down for Simone was, uh, well, well, he didn't he, he didn't do good here. Well, no shit, Sherlock. You didn't give him enough time to develop. We anything. have Iglesias. We don't need him. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you, 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 don't, you don't need time to develop. We got to win a championship now. Well, you know, he hit. Now he surpassed uh, the big cat for most home runs of the season by Venezuela. So. 
There we go. Well, um, and, and mostly, I just it, it is like I want to hit home with it. It's just a small sample, really. I, I mean, right. I think like the small sample right now, all, all three, not all three, like Fangraphs, uh, Statcast, and Baseball Prospectus all have Rogers as a negative framer too, which was you know we, we were supposed to be one of his best skills. So I think it's just it's it's too early <laughs> to say anything really. Yeah. But, right. Uh, I just noticed it because I, I was looking and there, there was his name at the very bottom, along but like right next to him is Victor Robles. Who, uh, who's doing oh, just wow. fine for himself as a, you know, a, a very essentially a five-tool center fielder. He just doesn't hit the ball very hard. So whatever. Right. I mean, without any other context, it would worry me. Um, yeah. But with all the context of the type of player he is, and just his approach at the plate, no, it doesn't worry me. And I'm still skeptical. I still think it might never happen for him. But this is, we have to see it. He's 24 years old. Leaving him in AAA for five more years isn't an option. We got to start actually trying out some of these guys. And then, hey, maybe by the middle of next year, we know we actually still need a catcher. You know, people have to cross it out of their 2021 pennant winning Tigers team lineup <laughs> that they filled out with Parker Meadows and Riley Green and Victor Reyes or whatever they do. So. Cody Clemens. Oh, God, Cody Clemens, right, exactly. <laughs> Ethan DeCaster as the closer. closer. Yep. All right, so my inside number is with the Sonny Gray, who became just made his 32nd consecutive start along with six hits or fewer, a new major league record that he is sharing the record with oh, wow. Nolan Ryan. And for 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 all out there, Sonny Gray is putting up a season. He's got a, a season of 4.3 war. So 32 and 4.3, and his his K per, per nine is right, like almost his second highest. Uh, is actually his highest career high of 10.51. So uh, Sonny Gray, I don't know something about that being along the Kentucky border. I guess I, I'm not sure what's going on, but with the uh, it's crazy. Way, yeah, that's fine. I've never I never even considered that. Like, just it hasn't given up more than six hits at any start this year. Yeah, that, that is crazy, actually. Yeah. That's really good. That's he must have made some sort of change. I have not seen him play this year, but, you know, um, normally I don't think – I mean, that seems like more than luck, right? It's mm. baseball. There's volatility. But normally, you know, guys are always making adjustments. Usually there's some sort of substantive change that comes along with it. And even it can be something like I don't use my slider as much, right? Um, you know, messing with your sequencing – Messing with how much you use certain pitches. So, uh, yeah, well, I remember we, we talked to we talked to Stacy uh, Stacy Gatsoulias, who follows the Yankees, mm-hmm. and we, we, you know, as Tigers fans, we just tend to think of look at everything as greener everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But she was talking about you know the, the Yankees kind of ruined Sonny Gray for a year, <laughs> and it's just it goes to show that like not there is no one way to do things correctly. Like some right. some things are are working better for more pitchers, but some guys need that that you know individual uh, instruction and it, it wasn't working for Sonny Gray and I don't remember exactly what she said but it was uh, heads yeah let's see the Yankees had him throw an awful lot of cutters and oh, 20, really? 20% cutters for the Yankees uh, and I don't know if that's just uh, wanted him to throw yeah that looks like I don't know well whatever but he hasn't thrown any sense basically and, and, so. and, the, and the Reds are number one or Reds are the top team in the National League in strikeouts and they're top five in ERA so it, whatever they're doing down there I mean you also consider that rotation also has Luis Castillo who I mean, before yeah. kind of the second Best half change of, up in baseball yeah and before the second half of the season was considered a you know a young, <laughs> young candidate he's kind of struggled a little bit in the second half but still 
they have a they have a decent rotation and a pretty good bullpen. To, up to yeah, it's the bullpen. All those guys, yeah. all those pitching prospects that they had had been cultivating, none of them panned out as starters, but they're all starting to come around. Robert Stevenson, who I think was drafted in like 2011 or something, and really had top of the rotation stuff, but was someone who was just so wild and had conflict with the manager at AAA. He's now settled down in the pen. Amir Garrett, who always had fantastic stuff, who was a second-round pick, you know, Years ago, he settled down as well. So, uh, Lorenzen has pitched well for them. There's somebody else whose name is just on the tip of my tongue. I'm forgetting right now. Is it well, Iglesias? Uh, or, uh... No, yeah, there's Iglesias. There's even one more. But uh, well, uh, my, oh, okay. but... oh, I was going Michael Lorenz. You said Lorenz, right? No, he's yeah. Lorenzen, yeah. Lorenz and, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they had... Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I forgot it too. Really, could there, not matter less. There was, it's yeah, there was a, a dude who was also. There was another prospect of the exact same name for the Diamondbacks, and I've now forgotten his name. But I about uh, Wendy. Uh, uh, I about Wendy. Uh, not Wendy Peralta. I mean, was was he with the Diamondbacks in Arizona, or uh, Diamondbacks oh, yeah. and uh, the Cincinnati? I can't remember. Yes, the Diamondbacks are in Arizona. Oh no, <laughs> no, he was uh, he was with Arizona and the Reds too, I think. Yeah, it it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, let's, yeah, let's, we'll have yeah. to talk about it. Before. No, no, but the, the, yeah, Co- Cody Reed was the guy I was thinking of, oh. but that's not he, he's barely pitched. Okay, but I don't know why I thought Wayne Peralta for some strange reason. Anyways, um, but yeah, that's my inside the number. Uh, Rob, do you have one? Yeah, I do have an inside the numbers, and my number is, uh. 10.3%, and that is Isaac Freitas' walk rate this year. And my other number is 11.1%. That's his K rate. So he had he finished with 57 walks and 61 strikeouts, almost as many walks as strikeouts, which if you watch as much uh, Tigers minor league baseball as I do, it's like wandering through the desert and dying of thirst and seeing the oasis, seeing someone who walks at all, let alone walks and doesn't strike out. Um, it's like, you know, meeting an attractive woman in Boston. You just can't believe it's happening. So, uh, I can't really speak to that. Yeah. I wanted to bring something. I know he was the hitter of the year. I wanted to bring something positive because I knew, you know, we were going to talk about the minor leagues. Um, so it wasn't going to go well. Um, but yeah, he, his counting stats weren't, weren't really there this year. He finished with, uh, uh, OPS under 800. And he, I'm trying to think how many, I think he eventually hit double digit home runs, but kind of the I think home he had runs, 12, maybe something like that. I think 11 actually. But so the home runs were never really there. Of course, the context is that he was 20 years old in double A, right? And mm-hmm. he still had a very good season and he looks like a very solid, good hitting prospect. And his defense is not terrible he's not castellanos i think he's very solid at third base he probably this year played about you know one third of the games at shortstop and two thirds at third and um i know chip says he's never seen him dive for a ball i've seen him dive for some balls kind of as the year went on he struggled a little bit at shortstop at first i was like man he's really good i wonder why um people think his defense is bad he's you know chip has seen him live a lot and uh the range isn't there for shortstop i think his range is fine for third base but he also by the end of the year was making some kind of sloppy errors at short so i i I don't think it's going to work there but the defense is absolutely fine at third base and he looks really good so i wanted to point out that and he that he works counts 
He's got great back-to-ball skills. He's kind of like the best of all worlds because, you know, Jake Rogers walks a lot, but Jake Rogers also strikes out a lot because his contact skills are so poor. Isaac Paredes has great contact skills, but he's also not, you know, swinging into everything like guys like Reyes and Lugo are. So will he give away at-bats sometimes? Yeah, he will. I, it almost seemed like he was kind of bored, like they were pitching around him sometimes and he would get anxious to hit. Um so he would kind of swing and kind of maybe give away in that bat where he'd be up in the count 2-1 and then swing it, you know, a breaking ball off the plate instead of really waiting for something he could drive. But he looks really good, and those numbers, I think, portend great things. So, Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I could see uh, if they keep these balls at AAA next year, he strikes yeah. me as the sort of guy who could hit like eight home runs in April. <laughs> like, exactly. whoa! But we'll see, I guess. Yeah. Still cold. Yeah, especially with the weather. But, yeah, the, even well, the weather or they decide to just do some asinine rule change without no reason, again, or change the balls again for whatever. Or, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll change something, I always seem like to. So, without further ado, let's go to the good, bad, and ugly this week. And, the, right. you know, Chris, uh, why don't you lead that off? Uh, okay. Well, good. Uh, how about a uh, shout-out to Pete Alonzo? Peter Alonzo, the Mets' uh, second-round pick from a couple years back, hit his 49th home run the other night. Is now tied Mark McGuire for the second most by a rookie in Major League Baseball history. Uh, he's just three behind uh, Aaron Judge, who set the record with 52 just a couple years ago. He's hitting 260 with a 10% walk rate, and he's not playing good defense, but it's still like a five-win season because of all that power. And and you know, like I said, he's walking. So it's uh, yeah, it's pretty damn impressive. It's right now it's the 11th best season by Fangraphs WAR by a rookie since 2000. The top of that list are, are Trout, Judge, and Pujols, which is pretty good. Oh, my God. Uh, what what happened? Oh, I'm sorry. Victor Reyes almost hit a home run. Oh. <laughs> it just, like, bounced off of Puig. Puig was going back, and it just, like, like hit him in the chest or something, and now Reyes oh. is on third. I'm yeah, sorry. I was just so stunned. Puig is probably upset. winded. He had to run, like, 90 feet to get back to the track. Yeah, <laughs> he, just, he just totally missed it. So they're going to give uh, Reyes a Here's the everyone's replay. Gonna, yeah, everyone's Oh, he's, help. yeah. Puig uh, stood still for a second there. I caught him. Oh, yeah, in and off Chris, and stuff, yeah. Maybe uh, Kristen Stewart is the defensive placement coach for Cleveland's outfielders <laughs> there. Um, I'm sorry. Yes. I apologize. That was rude of me to interrupt. No, it's fine. I was just uh, talking about uh, top rookie seasons since 2000, and it was Trout, Judge, and Pujols. The top ten is all pretty good. It's like Corey Seager, Longoria, Tulo, Ichiro. Uh, but then right, right around uh, Peter Alonzo, one ahead of him is Austin Kearns. And one below is Eric Hensky. So wow. it's not a guarantee that he's going to have a great career, but uh, still pretty damn impressive. And, and but they good for the Mets. Players. I actually wanted to ask you this, Chris. I think it's so funny because when, you know, I'm into minor league baseball, obviously. So when the draft is happening, because really they, do, they don't do a lot of comps in the minors, I find. But it happens mm-hmm. a lot, you know, when the draft is coming up. And they'll do like a best case scenario, and it'll be something like that. Like best case scenario, he could be Austin Kearns yeah. for like a top five pick. And as a fan, you hear that and you're like, "Oh my god, that's terrible!" But he really had a good career, and that is like, wow, a top five pick becoming Austin Kearns is like a phenomenal success. <laughs> it's just funny how in your head you want it to be Barry Bonds, right? You think, "Oh my goodness, yeah. we have a top five pick. We're going to get." You know, Barry Barnes or Roger Clemens or whoever, you know, Willie Mays. 
And in reality, like a, a super successful, you know, pick is like Neil Walker or like someone, you know, somebody along those lines. Yeah. As Drupal Cabrera would be like, in an, if he had been a number three overall pick, that would be like an ins- in a super successful, insane outcome to root for. And it's just so underwhelming. I always think that's funny. Just the perception of it is so off. Yeah. And, and I always found, I mean, there are times, I remember one year that, you know, it was like every player who was drafted was compared to like a Hall of Famer. It was like, uh, yeah, Dancy Swanson reminds me of Alan Trammell. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, and, you know, you understand it. But and then, then there's other times, I'm trying to remember, Jim Callis was often comparing somebody to Mark Kotze. And it's like super unsexy, but that's the, that's the thing. Like people, don't... I feel that's like an amazing comp because Marcotte could do everything, right? Yeah, he was a pitcher like, in college too. Yeah. Well, that's Kalanick's. I mean, that's Kalanick's. Uh, yeah, that's who. That's who comps. Yeah. I mean, imagine if Marcotte hit twenty home runs, he would have been like. And part of this is since we didn't grow up when they had wins above replacement as a stat. I, maybe you're like me, whereas like. I look at someone like Tiesco Hernandez, who's hitting like 210 with 25 home runs, and I think, wow, that's super valuable, right? Yeah. The idea that you could be Shinsu Chu and hit 10 home runs and have 15 stolen bases and, and walk, walk 90 yeah. times and be a 6 war player, that still blows my mind, right? You know, yeah, well, we grew up in the era of Joe Carter, you know? like Exactly. Like, Joe Carter probably never had a 3 war year. Meanwhile, J.D. Drew, someone who seemed like a massive underachiever, probably had like crazy five, six war seasons just because he'd have, have, you know, 15 to 20 steals, 20 to 25 home runs, and he played great defense yeah. and draw walks. You are and correct, that, you, you are correct you know, on that, by the way. His uh, career war is 44.9. For so, Drew? Yeah, for J.D. Drew. And, and I, I think Joe Carter had at least one good year, but like his yeah. big years where he was getting MVP votes, he was like a two-war player with 30 home runs yep. and 110 RBI. <laughs> yeah. You know, another player is, that comes to mind too is like Devon White. I remember Devon White having some hype to him, and oh, he was well, kind of like. Yeah, I mean, I would love, I would love Devon White now. I think yeah. he's a guy with like not a great average, doesn't walk a ton, but elite center fielder with power and speed. Well, yeah, Jonah Carey before he, you know, Uh-oh. was arrested for domestic violence. Um, yeah. He was the one who got Tim Raines into the yeah. Hall of Fame, basically, just by talking about what a war monster. Well, not a war monster in terms of like, you know, he's not a warmonger like some foreign dictator, but a war monster as in he averages a lot of war each year, I guess, when he was playing for the Expos and the White Sox. And But since he was a leadoff type hitter who walked, it never really seemed impressive growing up, right? And then you look back at the numbers. Um, and you realize how valuable it is. So, I mean, that's kind of happened in every in every sport, yeah. kind of in baseball the most since, um, you know, not every player hits home runs. So there was just really no way to compare disparate players, right? So yeah. no way to really agree on what was valuable. Um, that's sorry. Yeah, I, I was just looking at Joe Carter because there are a couple of things that stand out for, to me here. Yeah. Uh, number one, in 1987, he had 32 home runs and had stole 31 bases, and that was good for 1.3 WAR. <laughs> it's got to be what? the worst. The defense killed him. Uh, it it was 87, so he hit 264 with 32 home runs. That was the rabbit ball year or whatever. So that was a, a weighted runs created plus of 101. 32 home oh, runs. Yeah. It was average. Um, so, oh, but yeah. then this one is crazy. 1990. Hit uh, 232, not great. 24 home runs, 115 RBIs, 22 steals, negative two war. 
so but he anyway, was considered yeah. a great player. He was like Mark Teixeira. Well, you know, I mean, they yeah. talked about him and about how he would have 100 RBIs every season like clockwork. And especially when the Tigers used to actually face the Blue Jays before the unbalanced schedule. And when the Tigers won the AL East, you know, that was our rival. That's who we played. We played the Blue Jays a ton, right? So yeah. it, uh, he just haunted us. Um, yeah, no, it's been a, it's been a very... Uh, difficult transition for me to understand what's actually important in baseball. And again, that's why, again, we've been talking about Reyes and Castro and these guys. And they get hits, but they're not, since it's only singles and none of them really steal bases, although Reyes does run well, um, they don't create runs, right? Yeah. So, and that's what it's all about. That's why you don't score runs if you don't get on base. I tweeted out the other night, Shep, I mean, I kept wondering, I'm in Boston, so I watch on MLB.com on my laptop, but I watch the other team's uh, TV announcers just because I didn't like uh, Rod Allen and I'm not a big fan of Shaft, and I like to learn about the other teams. So on Twitter, I would keep people keep asking me about Reyes and Harold Castro, and I kept wondering because I would watch them, and I am just very unimpressed. And I got that they were hitting 300 and that McCoskey kept tweeting about them, but I, I just kept wondering. And then, I wa- and then I was visiting my parents, and I watched two games on Fox Sportsnet. And after, like, it's like I got in on Thursday, and by Sunday, I thought they were Boggs and Tony Gwynn. I mean, <laughs> just the full-court press that they do on how great they are. And it's hilarious, because last night, uh, it was last night or two nights ago, Lugo hit a home run. And Shep was saying how, well, it was a solo home run, and... You know, two-thirds of the Tigers' home runs this year have been solo home runs. And then him and Morris start saying, well, they got to get guys on the bases. And then literally two hitters later, they started raving about Reyes and Castro. And it's like, well, if you want guys on the bases, you might want guys who draw walks. That's just an idea. I mean, Reyes has like a 5% walk rate. Castro is like 2%, right? Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he's way down there. But they're not self-aware yet. So, yeah, I guess. They have yeah, no. the Turing test, Shep and Jack <laughs> Morris. So they're not self-aware yes. and they don't realize what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, yeah, I guess I can do my bad now. Yeah. Uh, my bad. I, you know, I mentioned that Alonzo wasn't awful on defense. He wasn't good either. And the Mets defense uh, oh, has been terrible. bad as, as a team. Um, Possibly bad enough to cost them a shot at the playoffs. They are currently negative 80 in defensive runs saved as a team, yeah. which, you know, I, I don't know if you want to directly correlate, like, correlate that to eight wins or whatever, but it's certainly cost them some wins. Uh, it's the third worst in baseball ahead of only the Mariners and Orioles, and the Tigers are the fourth worst at negative 64. So the yeah. Mets are 16 runs worst defensive runs saved. Well, they have, um, well, Rosario was supposed to be good, and he hasn't yep. been good. And then McNeil isn't good. And then Cano isn't good, and Alonso isn't good. But actually, the Mets are an interesting thing that I just wanted to touch on real quick. So we talked about, you know, the Tigers' rebuild and how it's going and how they're in desperate need of hitters. And, you know, I think people had this idea like, well, there's Rodgers and Daz and Willie Castro, and we have Riley Green and Meadows, so if we draft Torkelson, then we're, we're pretty much there. You know, that's the lineup. And we'll be good then. And then all the pitchers will win 20 games and we'll be contending by 2021. You know, that's kind of the idea is that if they can find someone who plays each position in the minor leagues, that's all we need. Um, the Tigers in actuality haven't actually produced any 
anyone who projects as a starter, as an everyday player. Think of the Mets. The Mets fired their GM last year, and the previous regime found Rosario, a young starting shortstop who, you know, at least looks like he could be a two- or three-war player, Alonzo, a legitimate all-star, Conforto and Nemo, who are both all-star type outfielders, McNeil, an, you know, an above-average infielder, plus all the pitchers, you know, Syndergaard, Wheeler, um, DeGrom, Matt Harvey before his injury, and still, they were so incompetent that they got fired. I mean, imagine if the Tigers had half that many good young players, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of how far we have to go to get to incompetent and fired. We have to find five good young hitters, <laughs> you know, and yeah. a full rotation. I mean, it's really daunting to think about how much talent, how much good young talent other teams find. God, I hate to be so negative all the time, but really... You just look no, at the teams that are considered bad, and it's like, well, they found a ton of stuff. Imagine, Al, I mean, Alan Bila is still freaking dick-riding that he was in the front office when they drafted Adrian Gonzalez. Like, he's bragging. He's not even that he was GM. He's dick-riding the fact that he just worked in the building when it happened. And meanwhile, like, I know the what Mets, they named the episode this week. Right, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Just the laughing stock of the, of the league just is pumping out all-star outfielders. Like... Yeah. No, and, and that's, I mean, no, I, I think right now, Reyes, I believe, is the, the top player by war uh, still playing. I think Goodrum is still ahead of him. Uh, and that's solely on the strength of Babip and his defense, which is grading out pretty well right now, which is, right. you know, hey, that's fine. I'll take it. But yeah, like right. you look, uh, you mentioned Toro earlier, Abraham Toro of the Astros. And like, I think like Matt Beatty of the Dodgers, who are, these are like, just like the 25th man on the roster or even less than that. And they're still, you know, positive war players. They're not uh, average major leaguers, but these are the guys that, that like they would be the best finds for the Tigers. And they're just kind of, they're just guys that like the Dodgers found behind a Christmas tree. Like, Oh, Hey, all right. Sucks. How about the Cubs? David Bode, David Bode. I mean, the Cubs traded Jamar to us and people talk about what a steal it was, but really Justin Wilson is a left-handed closer who throws 94-95, and yeah, he fell off, and yeah, he's inconsistent, but he also had another year and a half uh, under contract for super cheap. That's a super valuable asset. Obviously, Jamer was a great prospect, and Paredes is a great prospect, but it wasn't like we just traded, you know, Alfredo Simon for something, right? You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't. He was still a good asset. The Cubs traded over Jamer because... He plays third and possibly first base, and they had Chris Bryant and Rizzo, right? They plugged in Bo David Bodie, and he immediately had a two-war season last year, just kind of taking Jamer's spot. And now they have Caratini playing catcher in first base, who's also kind of taking his spot, and he has an 800 OPS. Just like guys off the scrap heap for other teams are, you know, just a far and away better than anyone we found in years it's really alarming right yeah that's uh what you were saying earlier they they kind of just seem to produce players from thin air and that's that's where we, we like it just feels to people who pay attention i think it feels like the tigers are just so far behind in terms of player development and, and like right. i i have no idea how you catch up in that area maybe they're only a year away maybe they're five years away but it's it just it's they're not where they need to be and they haven't, right. they haven't been for years. Um, well, the J Jamer really, I'm sorry, I don't want to kind of keep getting us off base, but the Jamer really feel, the Jamer 
situation feels like the canary in the coal mine where you get a, you get a guy in AAA. This is what people wanted for Matt Boyd. People mm. wanted like a stud hitter in AAA who was ready to be called up at that moment. Like, well, teams don't trade that because that's the most valuable commodity in, you know, baseball right now. Like someone was throwing out that like um, someone I make fun of a lot because I'm a bad person. Uh, was throwing out that we were going to get like Carter Keboom for Green and Farmer <laughs> or something. Oh yeah, and I know, it was, yeah, yeah. I know you and it was just like, <laughs> I mean, no, that's super valuable. Um, so that was going to happen. But Jamer was similar to that. He was someone in AAA who was ready to be immediately called up, who graded out as not maybe not a Keboom level guy because he didn't play shortstop and he's not as good offensively, but a someone who would be a two to three war player. And obviously he had that great six weeks to two months, but since mm-hmm. then has completely fallen off. His OPS coming in tonight was 619. And it's like, well, geez, if we can't polish up a guy who was ready to go and who looked, it's not like he was like a boomer bust guy. He was someone you're supposed to be able to fill in with only kind of just the minor adjustments everyone makes, right? He wasn't like a, he wasn't like Kingston Liniac or Parker Meadows where he was super raw. He was supposed to be super polished. He was supposed to be the Riley Green type guy. And he completely fell apart. Now, part of it was possibly because of an injury. But I don't think his wrist is the reason he struggled this much. And so that, for me, is the really shocking part because I think fans keep hoping, well, if we, we keep taking guys like Riley Green who are, who are polished, who aren't raw, then we can patch together a lineup. But... Jammer was one of those guys, and we can't even turn him into a bench guy. Like, to me, that's yeah, it's very to... disheartening. Because everyone is different, and we don't know if they did anything wrong or if they could have helped him at all. But, I mean, if he had just stayed on the Cubs, does anybody think his career would have played out this way? I, yeah, I don't know. Likely. Yeah, it doesn't feel likely, right? It feels like it'd be completely different. I mean, you don't know, right? But it, it's very disheartening. Yeah, no, I was I was looking because I remember, God, it must have been like you said six weeks. I feel like it was like a good two and a half months into yeah. that uh, first he year. And yeah, he he's like two point five F four last year just on the basis of that in his defense, which is crazy. Yeah, and I I feel because like he, he had that probably... at that time at like two months in, he was two and a half wins. I'm like, well, shit, is this a four win player? And yeah. then uh, the league well, adjusted, and he hasn't been able to adjust back. And it's that's yeah, bothers me. No. As Mark Gorsh noted, he, you know, under his hands with spin, he has huge problems with it. And then also, you know, kind of fastballs out over the plate. He struggled with that all season long. He's still drawing walks and, you know, he still squares it up occasionally. But I remember even just like two weeks, not two weeks, that feels way too early, maybe 30 games into the season. I, I remember in a chat with Gorsh and Keenan saying, are you guys worried? When? Or I said, when do we get worried? And mm-hmm. Keenan totally, like, blew me off and was like, I'm not worried at all. And I think Gorish kind of gave me a date, and yeah. it just never got better, you know. And he never even had a hot streak. He kind of got hurt. He came back up. He was good for two weeks, but he never even had a hot month, right? Which yeah. normally you at least see. It's a streaky game. I know we all have the memory of Goldfish now, and if, like, Brandon Dixon has, like, three straight games, we're, like, getting him molded for his bust, you know, outside Comerica, right? Like surely he surely this streak won't end. He's homered in three straight games against the Royals. He's gold. Sign him now. Ten year deal. Uh nobody was, thinks anything uh, will end, but 
he never even had a streak. It was Ronnie Rodriguez earlier this year. It was the one like, oh, man, he's riding the wave, and then nothing. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. And it, it's I do it, too. Anything I say that I complain about other people, it's because I do it. Because no matter how many years I watch baseball, you'll never convince me that what's happening now isn't going to keep happening forever. Right? Yeah. So that's – although maybe I'm not as bad as other people because I'm not still arguing that, like, well, Matt Moore got hurt, or else we would have had a, you know, a front of the rotation starter. Did you see the game he had the second day of the season against Toronto? Like, I don't make that argument, so maybe I'm not as bad. But so I would say I finally I was able to uh, to isolate this now. So I, on June 1st of last year, Candelaria was 19th in baseball in WAR, 1.9, hitting 274 with eight homers at a 10% walk rate and above average defense, and uh, that was basically tied with Chris Bryant at the time. So it looked like, oh, man, here we go. And yeah, since then, it's nothing. So ah, it's, you know, sometimes that's, you know, it happens all the time, actually. You know, you see the league. Some guy comes and storms in the league. Aristides Aquino hits 38 home runs in the first two weeks. Uh, and the league adjusts, and, and so you need to see the guy make the adjustments. But it would be right. nice if the Tigers had was... somebody who did that once. Right. Where Other than J.D. Martinez, was... I guess. Right, right. So unless he does it on his own and, you know, hopefully Al Avila's kids played high school baseball with the next Mike Trout. And Mike, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or hopefully he has a, a nephew or something like J.D. Martinez obviously played high school baseball with not Alex, his other son. Um, and that's how they knew about him. So hopefully there's another stud in there who, you know, maybe David Ch- Chad has a daughter. She knows someone. Well, they do. They had Tucker Chad. I remember they drafted him. Oh, yeah. But that, every son. team does that. Somebody actually yeah, asked yeah. me. They wanted, since I am very critical, and they were saying, oh, they draft the relatives of players or the relatives of the front office. And I had to tell them. I, I had to be that guy who, like, they do something and then somebody else tries to be friendly by doing the same thing. And then they kind of, like, big time them. They're being like, no, you're doing it wrong. I had to kind of do that and be like, every team does that. Every team drafts. Yeah you know, the failure sons of Maglio or Donez, right? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, poor Maglio Jr. <laughs> no. uh, all right, well, you know, let me finish up with my ugly here. And this uh, yeah. this is completely random, not related to anything at all. Okay. I, uh, I was listening to the Executive Access podcast this week, which is, you know, I, is Mark Feinsand talks to front office uh, personnel. Okay. Um, and he was, it was a guy named Scott Sharp, who was the assistant GM for the Royals. And he was talking, he was drafted by the Reds in like 1994. And so they were talking to him about his playing days and mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, the impressive players he played against. And he said, yeah, you know, it was hard to tell who hit the ball harder. If it was Vlad Guerrero, Andrew Jones, or Ron Wright. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, all right, well, I know who two of those guys are. Who in the hell is Ron Wright? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, the mid '90s was kind of a dark period for me for baseball, uh, so I, I don't really remember this. But so I looked it up, and uh, yeah, he was a seventh-round pick by the Braves in 1994 out of high school. He hit in 1995 as a 19-year-old. He hit 271 with 32 homers in the Sally League, okay. and then in '96 he hit 261 with 36 homers between High A and Double A. Wow. Uh, he struck struck out a lot for back then, 151 yeah. times in 133 games, but also yeah. walked wow. 77 times. And wow. so the the Braves ended up trading him to Pittsburgh for Denny Nagel, who wasn't wow. good for the Braves that year, but he was good the next year. Mm. Um, 
And Ron Wright was a top 50 prospect to Baseball America heading into 1997. <laughs> and then his career just basically stagnated. He was claimed on waivers by the Reds and then the Rays yeah. and then Seattle. And he finally made the majors in 2002, where he debuted for the Mariners uh, as their DH, batting seventh behind John Olerud. A pretty good lineup that that team had. Uh, and his first at bat was against Kenny Rogers with two men on and nobody out. And he strikes out looking on three pitches. He's a right-hander, so he's in there to face. He's the DH. Yep. He's facing the lefty. Strikes out on three pitches. He comes up in the fourth inning. Once again, two men on, nobody out. He hits into a triple play. Oh, oh my God. Then he, he comes up in the sixth. Once again, two on, nobody out. Hits into a double play. Oh, no. And was that it? Yeah, Kenny Rogers is pulled, so the right-handed run right gets replaced by, as, as DH by the switch hitter, Mark McLemore, and that's it. Never plays oh. in another Major League Baseball game. Oh. So his one Major League Baseball game was a strikeout, a double play, and a triple play. And wow. I can't imagine anybody's ever had a worse debut. Like That's worse than Jace Boers or whatever for the Tigers who, who hit the first two batters he faced and then retired like one batter. Um, <laughs> no, that's like Jake. This like Jake. Jason Stark territory when we come up with the most insane, unbelievable. Yeah, it was That's just a rip. <laughs> I can't, like, oh, you know, at, at some point, at some point, he's telling, telling like, he's talked to somebody, and, and he's like, you know, I was in the major leagues. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, how'd it go? Oh, not great. Not great. So, anyway, they, like I said, completely random, but I, I just, <laughs> man, how ugly. No, I was at school with a, a girl whose fiance was a minor league pitcher in the Sox system, and he, you know, had a really good season. He was just like a late round guy, like a like a Drew Colton type, right? Who puts up good numbers. And then he had Tommy John, and he put up like you know Rick Wild thing Bond numbers when he came back, yeah. but he couldn't find the strike zone. So you see, like it's like seven and two thirds innings, twenty four walks, ten hit batters. You know, like Riley Pint is kind of doing now. Yeah. Um, and it's embarrassing, and she feels embarrassed, but well, she wasn't feel embarrassed. She was proud of him. She said he was embarrassed, but really, I got it, right? I got the context behind it. He was good. Yeah. He got an injury. That's not his fault. It's not that he was bad or something. I mean, even just to play minor league baseball at AA, you have to be fantastic. So, yeah. you know, it's still an accomplishment. It's not like he was a failure or something he just got hurt yeah it's it's just a, it's a toughie like like who is it grant grant rice grant Roos, that poor guy the tigers drafted and when well, they drafted him a bunch of times out of michigan 2017 let's see 13 innings oh, yeah, 40 he's, 41 he's walks else now he's with someone now is he yeah uh, i saw him and i thought don't the tigers have him how did he get on another team i like saw him in a box score when i was you know following minor league ball he played at U of M, right yeah yeah he actually it looks like he pitched for the ti- gulf coast tigers this year at least for a little bit but uh in any event yeah just thinking of guys who are super wild but but that's my good bad and ugly i don't know if this is roger even still there yeah i'm still here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah no i no, yeah. <laughs> i was thinking something to drink but i'm still here yeah so my good and bad and ugly starts with the brewers and the brewers have been able to just kind of piece themselves together and but it's really what, what they did at the trade deadline that seemed kind of like first kind of seemed, you know, questioning or kind of scratching their heads a little bit. But since Drew Palmeras has been a reliever, he's in an ERA of one point nine four, forty one strikeouts in twenty three innings, and he's uh-huh. been a big reason why the Brewers have stayed 
in contention. They're currently two and a half back of St. Louis, and he's filled the role of what Corey Knable was doing when he hit the DL. And another Pomerantz number, 14.9. That's his caper nine. And he's been lights out and just, you know, essentially just been able to help Milwaukee stay mid-September. And Chris and I, and I, I'm pretty sure I did, but I know that I wrote Milwaukee off because I thought that they didn't do enough at the trade deadline to make themselves competitive. They just kept, you know, the Chris and Mil or Yelich uh, down with a kneecap injury. They just kept their injuries all over the place, and they still managed to, you know, even if they miss the postseason, they've made this one hell of a run. So kudos to them and, and kudos to that trade. And, and who who ever thought the bad? And speaking of injuries, and it's Seattle. And Seattle has well it has set a major league record. Um, has used forty two pitchers and sixty seven players overall. And it's you, you looked at with the way they started the season. This has gotten ugly. You know, between. Um, Tim Beckham getting the 88, getting a PED suspension to, was it Mitch Hanger, busted a ball, literally. Uh, Seattle is just, um, oh yeah, Seattle is just kind of uh, staggering their way through, and that's, that's just bad. And, and I mean, there, there's nothing they can really do about it. injuries or something you can't foresee happening, um, but that's just the number, but to set a major league record, and I think, what is it? This is the last year of the 40 man roster, or, or like the, isn't the 40 man roster kind of changing? Well, I think they'll still have the 40-man roster. It's the last year of uh, you can have all 40 of them up in the majors if oh, you yeah, want. Oh, yeah, call-ups. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so that's September. what it was. Yeah. So, and then the ugly is the two pieces of shit that essentially are what's going on in baseball right now with uh, Felipe Vasquez, and he's the biggest. Oh. That guy is the biggest piece of shit of them all. I mean, Domingo Herman is just as bad. Don't get me wrong, but holy crap, is this thing going getting ugly as is. He was grooming the girl, and, and just this, it, it's terrible. And it's going back as far as two years. And the Pirates have not made it in public. They just quietly have raced him off the, the face of the planet. But what a piece of shit. I mean, seriously, like that, I don't care how many times I swear. That guy, well, you know, it's just, that's just ridiculous. And not to mention, it's just one of the, those black marks on baseball that, you know, he's gotten felony charges on. Statutory sexual assault, unlawful contact with a minor, corruption of a minor, even stuff from Florida. So, Crick, you know, and I know it started with the, um, I know Chris with the hashtag Team Cricket. Damn fucking right, dude. And I hope that guy should have broke, broke his damn jaw, so. Well, yeah, I think I think the Pirates were my ugly last week, and that was before this. Yeah. Um. Good God, yeah. I didn't want to, like, I mean, yeah, he's done. There's no more, no more baseball for him. And uh, there you go. Uh, I did want to touch on, just to go back to the Mariners real quick. Yeah. Um, because I kind of, yeah, they've, they've improved their system pretty rapidly. Right. But I think they, they need, uh, like, I, I like Logan Gilbert a lot. I actually said, uh, oh, that, yeah. heading into the draft, I, I said uh, something like, I expect him to be as good or better than Mize. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But, uh, but you know, they've got Kalanick, who's been a monster, and Julio Rodriguez, uh, who looks like a future stud, but I'm uh, other than than uh, Gilbert, the pitching feels a little bit light. And so I was thinking, you know, would the Mariners be a good fit for a prospect for prospect trade for the Tigers? Because uh, you know, Jerry Poto loves to make trades. Are you, are you asking me? I'm thinking yes. I was just postulating. 
Um, are they, I mean, I, my thought yeah, was like would. Evan White for Tarek Skubal or something like that, but get him oh, back to no Seattle. Way. They wouldn't. Seattle says no to that. Yeah. I mean, come on. White, well, I, they've, I mean, they've got Vogelbach is the thing, but I guess they just throw White in center field. Yeah, or just get rid of Vogelbach. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, Evan White's really good. I would see, I don't know, maybe Cal Riley for So he, I mean, the catcher. Yeah, so Scooble is, well, for one, hitters are going to be more valuable than pitchers, I think, especially with Scooble, who has already had TJ, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Scooble's an interesting case because his numbers were like video game numbers. His fastball is fantastic. Um, it's easily, I think it's even better than Manning's fastball right now, at least, um, even though he doesn't kind of have maybe not as much velocity as Manning is going to have. But he doesn't, even though he has kind of an assortment of secondaries, none is really, um, you know, none are really average yet. They'll kind of flash average different ones, but none are really consistent yet. Um, And he can't command them as well as his fastball to where I think he could be a closed. I think he's probably going to end up a closer and I think he could be an excellent one. Um, I saw Sean Doolittle earlier in the year, and that's what made me really think of Scooble as a closer, because Doolittle was just kind of firing fastballs, and then he had kind of a, you know, but his fastball was, had a lot of deception, a lot of late movement, he was commanding it fairly well, and then he would have kind of an assortment of different breaking balls, he would throw at guys to kind of keep them off balance. I don't think Scooble, and especially, you know, he is coming back from TJ, I'm sorry, excuse me, TJ surgery. Um, which is why he fell so far in the draft. Um, you know, there is that kind of asterisk by him, although it's much more common now. I think they might just roll. I mean, they'll probably start him until he can't, but I would not be surprised if he struggled as a starter and eventually became a relief pitcher, a closer, mm-hmm. or kind of a multi-inning guy. And I think he would be very good as um, in the bullpen because I'm not sure he's going to be able to really sequence enough to start. I don't think he has a really good secondary breaking ball. And for yeah. as good as this fastball is, major league hitters can hit good fastballs. I mean, that's something we've seen time and time again. The hitting this season is just out of control. Again, as Tiger fans, our perception is so skewed because no, because we have a historically bad offense. I mean, I think that's kind of something we keep missing when we talk about, about the players and who should be around next year. This is a historically bad team. We don't want anyone around next year, right? Like, they're all, like, really bad. You know, we're going to finish with 46 wins or something, 48 wins, 50 wins. We're having one of the worst offensive seasons in baseball. Like, we don't want to keep anyone. They're not going to – look, they're not going to – look, they're not going to get more than 40 – they're going to get more more than 47. They're top top at 47 tops. I mean, like, right now, 7-0 end of the eighth against Cleveland. They play the White Sox this weekend. The White Sox don't really technically have anything to play for, but, but, but for Christ's sake. I mean, the White Sox. They're markedly are, better than the Tigers. Exactly. And, you know, really quick, too, before, you know, we get to Rob's good, bad, and ugly, the one thing I wanted to mention is a good plus, if you will. And, and I wanted to mention the A's, but the only way I'm going to mention real quick is that Marcus Simeon, former White Sox, by the way, so this kind of works out, seven-point war entering into, the, into, into yesterday's game. And uh-huh. that's higher the Melgal Tejada's 2000 MVP season in 2002, and it's the best in A's franchise history. And remarkable. Think about it this way. The A's have been around one of the oldest teams going back to their days in Philadelphia in the major leagues, and to have that, that is amazing. 
So I just wanted to mention that in there. That's just something. And with the A's being in playoff contention, possibly getting the wild card already, that's just impressive. So, but yeah, uh, yeah Rob, let's move you. Let's quickly go through your uh, good, bad, and ugly. We had you had some questions to take care of. I want to let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Oh yeah. So quickly, I, I'm actually going to do them a little bit out of order since. So I'm going to do ugly first because I like Eli Wallach in that movie. That's my favorite character. He's the ugly for people who <laughs> haven't seen. Great call three-and-a-half-hour westerns from the 60s that aren't in English. Um, my ugly is going to be Kyle Wright and Tuki Toussaint. Um, you know, as we kind of keep talking about the Tigers building around pitching, although I is their plan. I think that's just kind of how it played out with their draft. Um, and how they have, you know, the stud, the stud starting pitching. And uh, Harris touched on it last week with you guys. It's so rare for starting pitching I mean, it's so rare for them to stay healthy, let alone work out. So the Braves started the season with a ton of different good young pitchers. Uh, Soraka, uh, you know, Matt Whistler has kind of fallen off. But uh, Max Fry, Tuchisant, Colby Allard, all of these guys who were, you know, ready to start pitching in the big leagues. Uh, Wright and Allard were both very... Not Wright and Allen. Wright and uh, Toussaint were both very similar to probably where Manning is now. Maybe not as good. Maybe Wright was around Manning. Wright had been the number four overall pick in maybe 2017. Uh, Toussaint had been, I think, the 16th overall in maybe like 2014. Uh, They both have a number of plus pitches. They have good size, and they just have had miserable seasons to the point where they both have negative F war. Right now, they were both sent down to AAA for most of the season. And the big culprit here was command. Uh, Tuki Toussaint has maybe one of the best curveballs in baseball. He never got it together. He finished with a walk rate of 5.62 per nine innings. And he had a strikeout rate of almost 10 per nine. But he just couldn't command command it at all. He finished with a 4.99 FIP and a negative war. He's not even playing right now. Starting, he was moved to the pen. Uh, he's finished with 8.20 Ks per nine and uh, 6.27 uh, walks per nine. He also has uh, he has a 6.43 FIP, which is very bad. Uh, and he also has finished with a negative war, although he's in the bullpen right now. Now, look, they're both very young uh, still. Kyle Wright, I think, will be 24 next year. Toussaint, around the same thing. Wright, when I see him pitch, he has fantastic stuff. They both have easily a plus fastball and then a plus secondary for Tucson. It's his curveball for right. It's a slider, although it looks like he throws. He was throwing what looked like a 90 mile an hour cutter, but the announcers were calling it a slider. So I don't know, you know, if it was just a slider without good depth or if he just was throwing it as a cutter last night. So look, there's still plenty of hope. They're both athletic and they both should be able to kind of at least figure out their control, if not their command. But it's just to show there's no there's no sure thing pitching prospect. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect, right? It's very, mm-hmm. very difficult. Um, you know, the Braves went in with a stacked rotation. Then we're picking up guys like Kevin Cos- Kevin Gosman, who they've already cut. Um, so it just, there's no sure thing, right? Yeah. Um, you didn't mention like Luis Gahara a couple of years ago. looked like, oh man, he, he could be a sure thing. And then there's family issues and then injuries and he was cut. And He's Bryce Wilson, like, yeah, yeah, they're they're like they had like 15 pitching prospects, and that's kind of what you need to get like three good ones. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so Tigers fans, I see a lot of well, we'll trade, we're gonna trade a pitching prospect 
for, um, you know, for, for a young hitter. But the only guys who really have value right now are Miser Manning. And then, fine, trade one. Well, now you only have one, right? Mm -hmm. um, because of the issues with school bowl that I, that I said, which is not to say they're bad or that we have to get rid of them. I just think we need to adjust our expectations to, to a more reasonable level and, and give these guys time. Not to mention, if they're not, and the Tigers haven't signed anybody to multi-year deals since 20, what, 2015, 2016, and they're not going to anytime soon. So not, I mean, if, if they're going to get creative and they're showing they can't clearly on the free agent market or even, for that matter, a minor league market that's just, they're going to get whoever they can, who wants to come here, they got to get creative, and they haven't, and there's no initial, there's no showing of that at all. Right. 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 So, and then... My good, to move on to Clint Eastwood's character, is also going to be related to the Mariners. Sorry, it's really, we probably should have, you know, should have let you know we were doing the Mariners so that we didn't all choose the same team. Uh, Kyle Lewis, who I actually wanted the Tigers to draft in 2017, he went to a small school. Um, you know, he was someone who was projected for an outfield corner, but was an athletic center fielder, who it looked like he was going to have at least an average hit tool and plus power he immediately blew out his when he was called uh after he was drafted um so that was in 2017 he missed most of 18 he's had injuries the whole time he finally played part of a season um and he didn't ha he didn't put up great numbers by any means uh he was playing on their loaded double a team that was in the playoffs and he ended up getting called up last week where he hit five home runs in his first eight games so even he has a higher F war than Harold Castro, eighty less games. <laughs> so to give you a to give you an idea, well, Chris McCoskey last week was tweeting about Harold's numbers since July, where he was like, he's got four home runs since July. It's like Kyle Lewis hit five home runs in eight games. Like the ball is juice, dude. I don't know if you know that, but anyway, um, and just talking about the Mariners system in general, in 2017, the Mariners had one of the worst farm system in baseball Kyle Lewis who we're talking about right now who had been hurt was their number one pit was their number one prospect number two was probably Sam Carlson who still has never pitched who I yeah. think was their second round pick in 2017 and has never even pitched at all and my injuries and that was it and then they had Evan White who was the first overall pick in 2016 that was it everyone else in their system was like the Tiger system used to be where they were all middle relievers and fourth outfield Jake Robson types. Um, that was at the end of 2017. By the middle of last season, the farm system was respectable. They had drafted Logan Gilbert. Uh, in the meantime, they had signed Julio Rodriguez, who made it up to high A as a 18-year-old. I think he's only 18 yeah, and he's, he's now 18. playing in. More walks playing, and strikeouts. More walks and strikeouts. He's playing in the AFL. Give you an idea yeah. of his numbers in 65 game, 65 at bats in high A. He had an, he hit 462 with a uh, 1,252 OPS. I mean, just to give you a, how much of a phenom he is at 18 years old. And the Cal League is a hitters league, but that is absurd. Um, he is not even their top prospect. Jared Kalanick, who they got in the insane uh, Edwin Diaz deal, is. So now they traded for uh, for Kalenic and uh, Justin Dunn. They drafted Gilbert. They signed Julio Rodriguez. Cal Raleigh, who was a third-round pick, has panned out. Uh, they traded for Justice Sheffield and Jake Fraley. And now Kyle Lewis, who was their 
only good prospect a year and a half ago, now isn't even in their top 10. And he just hit five home runs in the first eight. I mean, could you imagine someone coming up for the Tigers, hitting five home runs in their first eight games, projecting as an all-star right fielder, and they weren't even in the top 10 prospects? And this is what Seattle did in a year. I mean, they were trying to compete for the, for the playoffs last season, and they tore it down this offseason. And in a year, they've gone from having the wor- one of the worst farm systems in baseball to a, a top 10 one. And so I just bring that up because people say, well, the farm system was empty when the Tigers front office took over, even though they were in charge of the farm system. Let's just forget about that, though, and pretend that they came in clean. And now four years later, um, it's starting to improve and get a better ranking. But Seattle did this in one season. It does not take four seasons. <laughs> um, but still, it's impressive what they've done. Jerry Depoto is very famous for making a lot of trades, and he did it through kind of everything. He did it through trades, good drafting, and signing good players in international free agency. And, you know, that's kind of what it takes. And DePoto is not the best GM in baseball. This isn't Houston, right? It's not like we're pointing to, um, you know, the class of the league, like, oh, this is the marker. This is someone who was considered one of the poor GMs in baseball. And he did in basically an offseason what, the Tigers brag about having almost accomplished in four seasons because we're even behind them now. So, and even if even if you think about it too, and I hate to say this, but it's similar to what Randy Smith did in a sense of he he he's been nothing but nothing but making trades. He's been making right. you know, and, and of course building off the farm system. But I mean, except that the, Jerry's done a better job with the farm system than Smith ever did, but. Right. He didn't draft a relief pitcher from Rice first overall. Oh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't think stupid like that. But in terms of how many trades he made, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's on the Randy Smith kind of level. But, yeah, yeah, in, in, a, better, in a better way. But, uh, but he's done a remarkable job, and the future looks bright. Logan yes. Gilbert is one of the top starting pitching prospects in, in baseball. Uh, Kalanick, Kalenick, I can't pronounce his name. He's one of the top anywhere prospects. He looks like Mark Kotze with power, which – seems underwhelming but isn't is phenomenal he made it up to double a in his first full season when he was 19 which is unheard of and had finished with an ops over 900 for the season i think his his ops in double a was 853 um so they look fantastic they've done a great job um and then so my bad is that you know i've been doing the podcast with keenan uh eerie go and we also, I also guested on a version of the 616, and I still don't have any fucking blue chew. That's my. <laughs> I was this blue chew. I'm not getting paid for this. I'm 35. I was told there'd be blue chew, and there still isn't. And frankly, I'm a little annoyed. I'm getting up there in years. Um, I'm married. I don't know. Do I have to spell this out for you guys? Well, so that's my bad. Well, I mean, all you have to, all you have to say is something to me because then I can tell uh, Justin over at uh, Overtime Media, like, hey, by the way, we have somebody who wants a sample, and I'll just have to in the just strat- mail it to my house, nice yeah. and discreet, no pharmacies, no prescriptions yeah. needed. Yeah, and speaking of uh, – <laughs> by- <laughs> I had to, I did like 50 episodes of that one podcast where I had to pip that every every show, and I never got any. Speaking of – You uh, didn't get any? No? Because Mark Garage tells me it's fantastic. Speaking of pimping things out, my bookie is your place to make. If you're if you're in the fantasy football, all sports, my bookie is a great website for you. 
to check out. And especially just in time for this horrible Jacksonville and Tennessee game, uh, all the jokes aside, you can make make betting a little more interesting. MyBookie helps get up to $1,000 bonus with your first deposit. So go to MyBookie.com. They also got games. They got some They got some. Uh, you get a really nice uh, – you get a referral bonus, a 200% uh, referral bonus. And they also got games on there. They have some really cool casino games. You can play some blackjack on there. So my bookie is the way to go. So uh, check out our friends over at mybookie.ag. So there you go. But uh, I think I need to get into gambling. It never, oh, it never. Fun. I had, I have a very addictive personality in certain areas. Oh, uh, it's good. You know what goes good with gambling is heroin. If you do those <laughs> two together, that's yeah. A you lot balance of fun. out. It's a nice balance. It's a good balance. If you need to kind of like. It's a good way to simplify your life, I'd say, if you kind of need to get rid of some of the responsibilities you have now, um, get hooked on those two, and your life will simplify real quick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah by the way, heroin addicts, plan. according to David Cross, heroin addicts have the best balance of all time. So, that's my favorite story. Where is the, all the people la- like leaning over in the park? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they don't fall? Yeah, that's one of yeah, that's uh, part of his saying, special. That's a uh, goal. But, uh, uh, before the end of the podcast, really, um, there's been recently a lot of like deaths with musicians and what have you. And oh. any money, I any money, open up for anybody local here in Detroit. Open up every year at Pine Knob, DT, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the money man, you know, he's like the, the kind of last that crooner, like Robert Palmer esque. So um, shaking. I, I got the chance to meet him when I worked in, uh, when I interned for a classic rock station. Really good guy. But it was Rico Kasich's death that kind of. I was a big Cars fan. I know, Chris, I don't remember. T- I mean, we've discussed a lot of things, but the Cars were not one of them. Um, but uh, Robert James has a really cool story how your mom knew the drummer <laughs> of the Cars. Yeah, I, like that, I like that transition. I have a cool story involving my mom. Yes, it sounds <laughs> exciting already. No, yeah, my, my mom's from the Boston area, and so she, uh, you know, in her teens and 20s, was, was pretty close with Jonathan Rick. Who's a musician who had a, a punk band called the Modern Lover, um, and so his drummer became the drummer for the Cars. Jonathan Richmond, you might know if you've seen the movie Something About Mary. Uh, throughout the movie, he's the musician. You know, they'll have interludes where he sings the song. You know, my friends should say stop try. I don't know. I'm not going to sing it, but yeah. he gets shot at the very end. I don't know if you see the movie. He's in it. That's Jonathan Richmond. Um, he was in the Modern Lovers, but yeah. So his drummer joined the Cars, and so that's my mom knows the drummer for the Cars. <laughs> Nice. All right. But, yeah, no, but the uh, – of course, Kasich was passed away of natural causes, but uh, it was a band I'm particularly a big fan of. Chris, did you ever get in the cars or not? Nah. Uh, you, you know, it's – when I worked – like, my first job when I was 16 or 17, uh, it was remanufacturing industrial electrical equipment, and it was basically in a shop, oh, and I had, no, I had no control over the radio. So it was basically riff all day long, uh, classic rock. And so I, I ended up learning – Probably like t- ten or twelve car songs without knowing it was the cars. Um, and then yeah, you know, one of my coworkers uh, a couple years ago told me he was a huge uh, Cars fan, and so I looked it up. I'm like, wow, I know all these songs. So yeah, yeah and then Rick Ocasek, uh I remember I think seeing him on Beavis and Butthead once, and it was really <laughs> yeah. like, hey man, you could be super ugly too and get models. So <laughs> right. I think right. a lot of people really uh, appreciated that. Right, as opposed to the very handsome Eddie Money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, no, I mean, or Billy yeah. Joel. The, the, oh, God. Uh, Billy Corgan. 
yeah. No, Pumpkin yeah. Head. No, yeah. It's Rick Ocasek was a great artist. Eddie Money always has, you know, like you said, he's played. He's someone who wouldn't be famous except for classic rock because they play, you know, his songs, Two Tickets to Paradise and Take Me Home Tonight, you know, twice an hour, right? So he's someone, he has a special place in my heart. I lost my virginity to an Eddie Money song. Um, well, he's wait. Hold on. He sang "Chocolate Rain," right? Or yeah. is that just a weirdo on the internet? Uh, yeah. Right, so Tayson Day. Yeah. But I still like him. He's still good. Oh, "Chocolate Rain." Oh, I was thinking of "Chocolate Rain." That was like 2008. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, was that? Yeah. The, Doing uh, the math here. Uh, anyway. But there was the, um, the headline. By the way, I remember when um, wait, wait, for that song was. Chocolate Rain was more wake than we realized. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Anyways. But, uh, all right. On that note, uh, we're going to end the podcast. <laughs> on that note. Yeah, on that note, on that weird did we, note. Well, wait. Did we have questions? Just oh, yes. To, yes, I, we, I yes, we did. We did. Okay. Someone asked right. who was uh, – I don't have their handle right now, which I really should read what? on the air. Um, I have I have one. The one okay. that you, you uh, sent to us was the JLH at Red Wings 924. Yes, that the was best correct. best prospect can't miss guy I'll be watching. Mize. So I don't know if he means like who is the can't miss prospect in the system or a prospect who he needs to watch when they come to the majors. Oh, I think he means who's the can't miss prospect. And I was going to say Paredes is the closest thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> honestly, we we talked about this a couple times tonight. How many can't miss prospects are in baseball right now? Is it zero? Is it? I wander Franco <laughs> and yeah. maybe, maybe I don't know. Like, yeah, it's I mean, not to break out the old Delman young uh, chestnut, but, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. but uh, yeah, you could never trust anybody, but yeah, I guess I think Paredes probably is the one that is most likely going to be like the most uh, quality of uh, you know, average to above average player, but I don't think he's going to be, like a terribly flashy or super exciting player to watch. Honestly, right. I mean, for, except for us who like, you know, like, oh man, look at that walk. Right. Um, like people who work counts, right? Not yeah. just someone who will draw, who will accept a walk, but someone yeah. will actually work it. Right. And that's the issue is the question. If he can hit 20 to 25 home runs, it's like if he hit the difference between 25 home runs and 15 home runs is really going to be what it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of what his career turns on. If he hits 25 home runs, he's going to be a very exciting player. If he hits yeah. 15 home runs a year, he's going to have a fantastic major league career, but it's, he, he's not really going to be that impact game changer that I think fans are yeah. ca- really counting on. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, it's, I, you can't, it's about the pitchers. I'm sorry, I wanted to say real quick. Yeah. When I rank the Tiger system, I rank Mize ahead of Manning. And again, maybe this is just my recency bias, though, but I would I would trade Mize in a heartbeat before Manning, because mm-hmm. although I think Mize is better, he just feels like a time bomb to me, doesn't he? I mean, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. He but feels yeah, he like feels... he's just going to fall apart any second and that they should. I know that they like to slow play guys, because if they call someone up, then the farm system ranking will go down and they won't have something to point to Probably, in the future. Yeah. Right. But they. Yeah. I mean, if I were Al Avila and all I cared about was my job, I would get Mize up and have him pitching and then move him because he – and it's not like I'm, I'm not the, that creepy dude online who roots for the TJ surgery. It's not like I saw something mechanical or anything like that. You know, I'm not a doctor. There's nothing 
there's no expertise here. It's just, it's just how it feels. It feels like he's going to just go any second. Um, mm. But I would put him ahead of Manning if I were just ranking who, like if I had to choose one for a start, I would choose Mize. Now that could change. Manning is still developing. And I know yeah. a lot of people like him more because they're, they're kind of assuming he'll continue to grow at the rate he's grown, he's grown the past two years. And that's totally fair. But I think Mize is better right now. Yeah, I guess that was in, in my head. I, I think like if you're talking like the next four years, I think Mize is going to have the better seasons probably. Right. But I think Manning will pr- probably be the more exciting player to watch. Like if he's on, I think he'll, you know, he'll be a guy who could, you know, get you double digit strikeouts and kind of like, whoa, this is really impressive. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's no can't miss prospect of the Tigers right now. I mean, I could also, like you said, I could see Mize blowing out. I could see Manning turning into a reliever. It's just, you know, nothing you could ever count yeah. on prospects really. Well, Manning, I mean, we talked about in the, in the year ago, but I, I really, and I know Gorsh is going to, I'm sure, yell at me if he listens to the podcast when I say this, but I really do think he needs another pitch. Just to, The chase pitch. Even, it's just, even just as a show me. I, yes, I've been saying it for a while now. He needs a chase pitch. And also just to kind of keep, even just to keep guys on their toes. And that's one of the reasons why I like Turnbull so much last year and why I like Mize now is because they have so many different looks they can give a hitter. And you think about a guy like Manning where he's got three pitches and one of them, his changeup is not consistent at all. Well, then if his curveball isn't sharp, then what do you got? His fastball? Well, hey, guess And it's that's, a great pitch. Major League hitters can hit the fastball, right? At least well, if we, you have a That's exactly what we saw in the Futures game. Not, not to cut you off, but exactly what we saw. The, the yeah. fastball, they couldn't square it up, but they kept fouling it off, and then he would throw in a changeup or a curveball, and they'd hit, get a hit. And that was, that was just, I think it was a good uh, example of what you're saying, what he needs to work on. We, just get that cutter going or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it would be very easy. I mean, it's it's going to be tougher because of his arm angle, right? Where he's not yeah. going to be able to throw a wipeout slider from that arm angle. But he could at least have a cutter, and he gets as uh, Brandon Day um, noted, he gets cutterish action on the fastball sometimes by accident or seemingly by accident because he doesn't mm-hmm. do it consistently. So, you know, just something, just another look to show to show guys, or maybe even just throw kind of a Fosh change up instead of I think he throws a circle change right now. Um, yeah. Just just something. So so that's why I like Mize more. But yeah, there there's no such thing as a as a can't miss prospect. Um, oh, I found the other question. It was what other hitters to watch besides Riley Green are there? Hmm. I think it's Packard. I mean, unless we want to yeah. talk about Paredes for the tenth time in the show. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a good call. I I, I mean, it, it depends on what you mean by watch. Like if you're just monitoring the progress there are other guys you want to see how they do next year. But yeah, if you were looking for a guy who's going to put up some numbers, I think yeah, Packard I think is, is the has a good chance of success. It was interesting when I was listening to Harris on your show last week, and I'm obsessed with kind of the narratives around the team, around the team and the, um, and the progress of the rebuild. And he talked about the draft, how much he liked the draft this year. And I think that's because of Packard and Riley Green. But something I see all the time, people think that like, well, they drafted poorly, and then last year they had a good draft, and now they're going to draft good from now on. And the, the reason we know they had a good draft was because they took hitters, because before they would just take backup catchers and relief pitchers, but they took hitters, so that was seen as a big departure. But really, they only took three high school players last year, and it's something where people say it, and you see it on Twitter, and then nobody ever follows up with it. Well, none of the hitters they took had a good season. 
right? Mm-hmm. None of the guys from 2018 had a good season. And, and none of them project. I mean, Parker Meadows is completely tooled up and could be a great player. But even the other guys like Kingston Liniac and Clemens and Della Rosa, none of them look like they're even going to make the majors at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing with this year. I saw a lot of people saying, well, this year they took a ton of hitters and they're now fully into analytics and everything has changed and we no longer have to worry. And when you kind of strip it down, they took Riley Green and Packard looks good. But other than that, you know, Quintana looks so poorly that we're now throwing it out as a data point. It seems amazing how poorly he looked. Um, Lipschitz or Lipsius. I know me and you, Chris, we pronounce it Lipschitz, like Dr. Lipschitz from <laughs> Rugrats and everyone else, yeah. including Dan Hasty, who's probably the authority, says Lipsius. He, that's a, even though, yes, he's been completely opposite from his, you know, the scouting report that came through in, uh, through the draft where they said he was very slow and a poor defender and a poor hitter with power. And it's been the opposite, no power. Um, you know, he's made a lot of contact and he's been a great defender. That's a straight relief. That's a straight utility guy profile, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I haven't seen Kreidler, um, but that's again, more of a utility profile. So again, I feel like you see these things like, well, the last two drafts were good. And then you kind of dig into that. Well, what does that mean? Well, they took hitters. Well, any of the hitters look good. Well, Packard, Riley Green, and uh, Meadows, if he completely changes, <laughs> you know, yeah. so. And the, yeah, it's not, it wasn't all that out of character. Like, it seems like every six years or so, maybe longer than that, the Tigers do like an all position player. Yes. <laughs> top exactly. 10. They did one, uh, this was, I don't know, 2010, 2011 with McCann, and then they took Aaron Westlake, I think, and Brandon Loy, and the third baseman and yeah and none of them worked out mccann was i mean mccann's a positive war player but he's not not a building block and and you know it's it's all about the right players and it's one thing that i've been wanting to kind of tweet out is just looking at the success rate on high schoolers drafted out of the first round Uh for the tigers because tigers don't do it very often and when they do they haven't hit on anybody and just comparing it to like the Dodgers who got Bellinger and Verdugo and May and all those guys in, in later rounds. And it just feels oh. like these other teams are playing. I don't know what it is that the Tigers just like are scared of high schoolers in later rounds or they don't trust their scouts or the scouts aren't any good or whatever, but uh, yeah, they never do it. And when they do it, they don't do it well. So, well, it seems to be, and this is not based on um, research. This is just my intuition. So take this with the grain. Now we're seeing so many more high school guys drafted, it seems like, early in the draft. Um, Mm -hmm. And it feels like the teams that are really advanced at analytics and some of this advanced modeling, excuse me, are able to find guys they like in high school. And and so that's why – and the Tigers are taking the guys in college, and it kind of has a triple effect trickle effect right as kind of the talented Mm -hmm. players are taken in high school then three years later they're not there in college to be drafted and so now that teams are getting so good at development and are kind of creating value out of nowhere um they're just really leaping ahead and finding guys like well these guys have they're able to kind of pinpoint the tools they like and that they can work with and like well look this guy does this and this and we think we can change his swing and get him to lift the ball more and if you can do that then he's going to be a stud and either the tigers are not advanced um analytically enough to do that or they're just kind of interested in other things right because 
they don't like lifting the ball. They like level swings, right? So um, it seems to be a big difference where you look at the really good teams are grabbing almost always high school guys. Like you got teams like the Pirates who, you know, they grab somebody in the first round and then the next few rounds, they grab like six, six, four high school pitchers who have a fastball and just any kind of breaking ball and are projectable. And they've just done this for years and they've managed to not have to spend any money and stay at least borderline competitive. Right. Um, yeah. And all the Dodgers picks, all the Yankees guys. So that's and I what even it think looks of like, like to me. Think of the A's who like drafting high schoolers was like, no, we don't do it. Uh, and then what, a couple years ago, they took Tyler Olson like 50th. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's been like the fourth or fifth best player from that draft. And it's, I don't know. And, and Wait, we talk about the, the A's are just Steven Olson. What? Matt Olson, I'm sorry. Matt Olson. Who's Tyler Olson? Tyler wrong. Olson is a reliever. Yeah. Matt Olson, the first baseman. Yeah. Who has just yes. kind of quietly like been really good. Wasn't and, Chapman uh, a high school player too, or am I hallucinating? No, I think I think I think Chapman played at like Fullerton or something. Mm. Me, uh, no, you're right. He was a college player. I am hallucinating. But uh, you know, Addison Russell was a high schooler. I mean, oh know, yeah, eleventh uh, pick. Yeah, I always forgot they took him. It took, but doesn't it, I mean, doesn't it seem like more high school guys are drafted now early than before? Yeah, you know, it's just kind of year by year. Like this past year, who, who was, well, you had Witt and uh, Green, and yeah, so I don't know, maybe you're right. I have to look at it. But uh, yeah, it, it, it feels like it, it all seems the like. I'm sorry. I was going to say all the comp guys, but that's that's the whole point is that teams save money with their first picks. So they can throw a lot of money at a comp guy from high school and scare them away from their commit. Yeah, no, it, it, it just in a very broad sense, it's kind of a high risk, high reward from from high schoolers. And the Tigers, for whatever reason, just seem risk averse to an extreme right. there. They, they'll take high schoolers. They'll take high school right-handers in the first round, which is like the riskiest group of prospects. Right. But uh, other than that, that's about it. Right. Which And that's, again, whereas, you know, this year people were saying, well, the draft, they took all these hitters. See, look, we told you they just need to catch up to analytics. Like, like people think that they weren't trying before. Like this idea, like the rebuild in Verlander was traded. Because up until that moment, up until August 1st, 2017, they weren't really trying when they scouted for the draft or for a national free agency. But at that point, it's all about making moves. Yeah. Right. When they were making any kind of move or, or developing guys in the farm system or doing instructs, they weren't really trying. And then after the JV trade, they looked around and were like, okay, I guess we better tell them to do the right things. Now that's what happened. Um, No, they were always trying, of course, but I think that they they weren't trying as hard or you can only focus on one thing at a time. Right. it's not mutually yeah. exclusive. You can be a good team and have a good farm system, right? See, Dodgers, There's only so many good Boston. players you're allowed to have. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, so I think that's the narrative. But really, they're still taking the same kinds of low-ceiling guys. I think people got excited because they saw the year before, well, they took Meadows and Liniac, but just taking somebody raw, like just taking three high schoolers doesn't mean you've changed anything. You just took three high schoolers. You know what I mean? And you still have yeah, to develop them, right? You still and it's have frustrating to. for people. Yeah, yeah. Develop. I mean, that's where I think the Tigers are just 
uh, I mean, I guess the drafting and developing, I think, is where they're so far behind. But it's frustrating for people like you who watch a ton of minor league baseball and, and people right. like me, like where we see Alec Thomas, uh, yeah. another high school outfielder in the same draft as Parker Meadows. He went after Parker Meadows and just went out and tore up the Midwest League this year. <laughs> it's like, yeah, ah, all right. I mean, no, you know, stats are stats, but. I went through and I looked at all the, and look, this is not to write off Parker Meadows. I mean, he yeah. was like 19, you know, I mean, I could list a million reasons why, why he should not be written off. And I am not writing him off, but yeah, neither see, I mean, out of the big group of height of like tools, the athletic outfielders drafted from high school, he certainly had the worst season of anyone I saw. And I'm talking Connor Scott, Mike Ciani, Ciani Thomas. Yeah all these different guys from all over the draft taken both before and after him who all at least made progress throughout the year. Um, you know, Cole Roderer, Brennan Davis, oh, yeah. uh, just a lot of different guys and they all, you know, kind of played better. No, it is frustrating for me, especially this year hearing so much about how good this year's draft was. And I loved Packard. Um, and I do love Packard and thought, think he was a steal as a fifth round pick and he's a good player. But seeing Quintana and Lipschitz and being like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, like the idea, like reading these stories that, um, you know, the Tigers were good now and they were great at analytics and they had a fantastic draft draft while watching Quintana and Lipschitz hit weak grounders to the right side was just kind of like maddening. And then you can't trace it. You can't like I would ask people, people would say, I think they had a fantastic draft. And you dig down and be like, based on what? And it would be like one tweet someone sent out and the tweet was about Packard and they actually mm -hmm. didn't like Quintana or Lipschitz. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when you actually dig to the evidence, it's like the whole thing. This is totally apropos of nothing. But like, remember the story about how Avila had to talk Chris Illich or now I'm not sorry. I'm sorry. Mike Illich out of signing Chris Davis. Yeah. And it's like this thing, and all the time people argue with me about the front office and how good they are. And this is something they cite. Well, he talked, he gets points for not signing the worst contract in baseball history. That's the bar. If you don't sign the worst contract in baseball history, something only one GM in history has done, you are doing a good job, I guess. And you trace it back, and it was, you know, one unsourced story that mm -hmm. was written by someone who's not a reporter anymore and no one else had picked it up. Nobody else heard this. Just this one reporter who was a good reporter, but it's like just this one unsourced story. That's it. That's when we dig back. This is, this is the evidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> I don't remember what question we were answering. Uh, it was, what was your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly it's green. I, I but... bring everything. I bring everything back to, uh, the, the Tigers 2018 draft, everything. Yeah. Like they asked me, do you take this woman? And I said, listen, Kingston Liniac hit 215 and it went on from there. It's your, what was it? Did you ever watch Lost, the show? No. Oh, okay. Did, Roger, did you watch Lost? Uh, well, Roger's One gone. season. What's that? <laughs> one season. Oh, all right. Well, at one point there was, uh, it's uh, the constant, I think. At one point there was a, uh, a time travel <laughs> plot and basically you go crazy if you don't have a constant to think about so there mm -hmm. you go the, your constant is the tigers my constant is the tigers draft is that they yeah. actually have not changed and mine of course is delvin young's minor league career <laughs> i know it's so perfect well though really you're a nice guy really <laughs>
it was kind of that was the only thing. I, that was the one thing I fudged. I nailed the Lumina van, but the one thing I <laughs> fudged was that you're a nice guy. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah, we we've gone on for about two hours now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're at an hour fifty-one right now. Uh, oh my god, that. I'm so sorry. I feel like I just yacked and yacked and no, yacked. I, you should I, just I, cut. You should just cut me out completely I, and have like a ten-minute podcast for this. Week. Well, no, I I, can't, I couldn't do that because it would be just it would be it would just be like this, and then I talk and then it would just like, and then yeah, it would just anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the no, I mean, this happens to us periodically. Whenever we get to talking to people who really like baseball, we end up going long. Because, yeah, case in yeah. point, we, we talked to Stacy for, what, three hours? Yeah, like yeah. an hour and a half after we got off the show. And yeah. we, whenever we have Brandon on, we talk to him like this. It's just, you know, yeah, baseball guys want to talk baseball. Yeah, and there's no problem with it. So there's no problem with it. And I not to mention, I don't have to – I don't have to work tomorrow until, like, 10. And I, the only thing I got to do tonight is test this DJ equipment for a wedding I got to do tomorrow. So – yeah, got the I got the turntable system all set up. I'm ready to go, and uh, I got the uh, yeah, I got some of the what some wedding classes. You're gonna get the the Bobby Brown Madonna microphone. <laughs> the, Garth, the Garth Brooks microphone, yeah. The, oh, yeah, Garth Brooks, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite SNL skits is when he's out in the uh, out in the West with a bunch of cow, so-called cowboys. I'm like, what are you with that microphone on? And he's like, Oh, don't you guys uh, get where's the heavy on water? And then they all realize he's a fraud of a cowboy, and then he takes off running. Yeah. Oh, that was great. That was a great skit. That was like mid '90s goodness. But uh, yeah, I don't remember that one. Yeah, but uh, no, no, that's when he went as Chris Gaines. That was the musical oh, he hosted. Yeah. I'm fascinated by Chris Gaines. Do you remember his that? Alter yeah, ego. I do. Yeah, yeah, his like pop star alter ego. I was. Working... I feel like I hallucinated it. No, I. Like... No, here's the thing. I worked at Best Buy at the time when that came out, and that mm-hmm. was. We had. I'm not kidding. Like a, a pallet, a pallet and a half of that CD of those CDs. And they sat like everybody. We we did. I did the plano in the morning. I remember the plano. Everybody was out. We had it all ready to go, and then nothing. No one bought it, and it <laughs> sat back there, and we couldn't even give it away. It was so bad. Well, that was. I mean, I think he was basically like on top of the world when he was yeah. doing that, right? They, they were basically like, well, I guess we have to let him do this because <laughs> he sold like eighty billion records. So go ahead and let him do this, even though it's a terrible idea. Well, you can only do that. I mean, think of how successful you have to be to even pitch something like that. Where I'm, yeah. it's like how when when Stephen King writes under a pen name, yeah. it's like that. Like you know, I'm just gonna create another alter ego that has a soul patch and plays a totally different kind of music. <laughs> it, it was just so fuck nuts insane. And yeah. I mean, now it seems like he could have pulled it off. Now it feels like something Lady Gaga would do, right? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Like well, just like been, well, no, this is my character. But there've been tons of tons surreal. of rappers who did that. But yeah, like uh, as a pop star or a country star, I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you mentioned Lady Gaga. And in some ways, she has. I mean, now the star is born is completely different than what Lady the persona of Lady 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 Gaga is. In some right. ways, that's kind of like the the only way that translates over. But no, I don't. Well, think she does. Yeah, she does those records with Tony Bennett, but I yeah. I assume that she sang about sex with him as well because I've never <laughs> listened to them. So. Yeah. No, I but... assumed he wears the cone bra too when they do it, or the fish or the clamshell bra. It's a clamshell bra. You know, you, you, the, cone, the cones, Madonna. Those are uh, the, it's that's just, yeah, that's the iconic part of that. But uh, I don't think an artist can pull off that just entire like oh, I'm gonna just do this whole black hair thing and try to be all weird. 
thing anymore. And, and he has his career. His career has never been the same since, too. I mean, the only thing I can remember him now is being married to Trisha Yearwood. And I don't even know how I know that. So, well, didn't he? Didn't he play in spring training once? Oh, I'm sure he did. He did. But I think it was Atlanta. So you also did that too for Toronto. You played for Toronto, Rick Thorogood huh. or um, George Thorogood in the early eighties. George Thorogood. Yeah, George really? Thorogood. Yeah, he played. He went to spring training with the Blue Jays. It's uh, and he was better than Danny Ainge. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I watched it at bat. There was a YouTube. Um, he, Danny Danny Ainge. Played for the Blue Jays for what it was eighty two, eighty three. I can't. It was maybe it was a little earlier than that when they're during the expansion years, um, or just a couple years after. I know they. I saw an at bat with Danny Age at either spring was it the exhibition stadium. I can't remember, but anyway, either way, yeah, if you look it up, oh. George Silverberg played. Wait a minute, yeah, uh, Garth Brooks signed with the Padres and went one for twenty two <laughs> in spring training. Oh wow, he got wow. twenty two at bats. I would love training. to do that. My dream is to throw out the first pitch. Like, I've thought about, like, if I, like, now that there's, like, Kickstarter, I've thought, like, like, writing the Tigers and being like, hey, if I try to raise money, like, we'll donate X amount of money to charity if you let me throw out the first pitch. Can I do it? Because that's my dream. I just want to throw the first pitch out. So, and being like, we'll raise, you know, if people donate, whatever, five grand, we'll give it to Juvenile Diabetes Fund, and then you let me throw out the first pitch. And the, or you could have Kid Rock do it for the 85th time. Your choice. Yeah, sure. you know what I mean. Like, yeah, Kid Rock could do it, and, and it just it'd be kind of like be, just for name purposes. But yeah, and, and how I mean, we'd probably do it for tax write off at this point. But no, um, so a couple. I mean, something worth mentioning too is that in addition to Kurt Russell, because everyone remembers Kurt Russell uh, playing for his dad's team in Portland, which came out a little later, um, but. Yeah, there's a documentary about that team, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, but uh, supposedly one thing about George Irvin is that he supposedly played semi-pro ball for in the Cape Cod League, but no one ever oh. was ever – that was also never – that that has never been um, uh, proven. But the only other one that – the other one that stands out is, like, in terms of uh, who played for the Cardinals uh, uh, Gulf Coast team. And I remember this because uh, my brother is a big wrestling fan, Macho Man. No, the Reds, oh. not the Cardinals. The Reds. No, it was the Cardinals. It was a jersey. Oh. yeah, there was a. Yeah, he went to the car. He was a. Yeah, it was the Cardinals. This is. Are you sure? Is... I'm almost positive it was the Reds. I'm positive. Kentucky. I'm, I'm positive. I'm looking at. I'm looking okay. at it right now because I. Then I defer to you. I. Def- I'll have to put that in the. Yeah, there's um. Yeah, so yeah. it was George Thorogood that was a. Here's was 1978. Um, I'm looking up the article just to. to, to Make sure I'm not going. Randy Poffo, minor league stats. Let's see. Yeah, St. Louis, St. Louis, and Cincinnati in '74. Okay, so you guys you were, were both okay. right. Okay, Truth. all right, awesome. All right, I didn't know he played for Cincinnati. I knew it was the Cardinals, but I know it was the Reds. Um, so he hurt his shoulder in a. He was a catcher, and there was a home plate collision, and he separated his shoulder, so he had to switch. And so for his final season, he hit. You know, he originally he was a righty and he had to switch lefty or vice versa one of the ways and he hit nine home runs like that's mm-hmm. amazing to me right that's how good of an athlete he was yeah, he was crazy. that good and he gave a pile driver to george foster in spring training one year no that's not true <laughs> <laughs> the ddt yeah <laughs> right. and of course tom Selleck was in spring training for the tigers back in like 1990 or something like that but right but randy Sta- but randy savage was actually like yeah, he was a minor leaguer, yeah. Right, he was a, a real minor league player. It wasn't like, oh, we got to promote Mr. Baseball. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and then he, yeah, then he went, yeah. It's one of those cases where, like John Elway, you know, actually played minor league baseball and was solid, and then went on to other things. Oh yeah, yeah. He was supposed to be really good. He was. Gonna yeah, be... I think he played for the Yankees for one year, right? New York or the New York Penn League, something like that. Yeah, Drew Henson. But no, it was it was something like that where he was going to be a big big star, and the Yankees came and. I, to me, although it's always so bizarre to me how big how. Young young people like that, like like athletes, love the Yankees. Like how that's a lure to someone. Like like oh, Drew Henson, you play football, but the Yankees gonna draft you. If that was me, I would be like, well, fuck you. I hate the Yankees. Like, I'm gonna play for the Randy Smith era Tigers. Like even though they suck, and I want to wear those new hats that they're gonna then change to the old logo, and we'll never speak of them again. Like I want to play for the Teal Pistons. I don't want to play for the Knicks. <laughs> like that always confuses exactly. me though that these guys from anywhere like John Elway wherever he's from was like oh yeah the Yankees like didn't you have a home team that you hated he's, the Yankees like he's from California yeah it's weird you think he would be like a Dodgers fan or something but right it would be like growing up and being like I always wanted to be a movie star so I could play you know Himmler one of the Nazis like no you don't you want to be Indiana <laughs> Jones you don't want to be Himmler like, you know? no look at it here yeah yeah Elway hit 318 with Four homers and thirteen steals, and more walks and strikeouts in his one half season with the uh, the New York Penn League. Oh yeah, well he was such a stud athlete. But it's yeah. you know obviously baseball is one of those leagues. Like you think of athletes who LeBron could have been an amazing tight end, right? Mm-hmm. You know something like that. But baseball, since hitting is just so different than anything else, and it's also just mental. Not to mean that yeah. you have to be smart. I think baseball players are kind of famously. Not stupid or something, but there, it's just not as mentally. It's, it's yeah. not an intellectual game, but it is a mental game in a sense that you can really screw yourself up, right? Um, yeah. In ways that other sports aren't as much, so you don't have to memorize plays or kind of have the court awareness, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you can get Steve Blass disease or Steve Sachs disease, rather. So it's just a funky thing. It's right. really, really hard to do. Actually, that works out both ways because I mean, Steve. Steve Bice was what pitching in the World Series one year, and then two years later was out of baseball. And then Steve Sachs just seemed to, it was the first case of Chuck Knobloch disease. Well, I mean, you know, he, he invented the yeah. disease at second base. But anyways, we can go on and on about this, I'm sure. But uh, we appreciate you sitting through the entire podcast. And uh, <laughs> Saturday, well, by the way, we do average about a 93% completion rate on our podcast, so I'm pretty proud of that, actually. <laughs> speaking of Blue Chew. Yeah, speaking of Blue Chew. Yeah, we, we, uh, we stay, yeah. Uh... I would kill for a 93% completion rate. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I could have gone with John Elway, too, I guess, but no. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and the band's still not on the field. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so coming up this weekend, we'll be doing a uh, – myself and uh, – probably talk, talking to James Shipman – about the awards a little bit. There will be or player or organizational awards going out too. So best mud hen, pitcher, position player, reliever. That will be going out as well. So go to our website, TigersMindLeagueReport.com. Check out all the great content. And we look forward to seeing who won in Erie. There's We we all know the winners, but I don't know. I don't know if Robert has, but I will uh, inform him shortly. But uh, look forward to sharing that with you. We appreciate everybody listening. The board will be updated probably by the end of the – Probably by the beginning of October, once the season ends, mercifully as the season is just it's a uh, it's brutal to watch. But there's a lot of good baseball around. Just uh, got got to find it. Rob, thanks, for, Robert. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. 
No, no, it's been my, you know, I love the podcast. I've wanted to come on for years. So thank you so much. It's yeah. really had a great time. <laughs>